How would you feel about going to the mountains for Christmas? Grace really wants to get to know you guys. Welcome back to Scream Addicts Hammer Pub. I am Jinx, your ghost. I am sitting here with my ghost, Sally Chapel and Paul Farrell. And uh, I do this weird stutter thing I've noticed when I when I introduce Allie and Paul together. I don't know. Allie, Paul, have you all ever noticed this and like just never mention it to me? I'm just like sitting here with my co-hosts, Allie Chapel. Like, is that a thing? Y'all ever notice that? That I just call attention to something that everybody Probably hadn't noticed before, and now I'm going to be really self conscious about it because now yeah. I know that people know. Now it's all I can hear. Yeah, I I hadn't noticed it, yeah. and now it's it's glaring. Like you really shed a light on this, and now it's all I can hear from your voice. Well, fuck. That's uh, leave it to me to hamstring myself. It happens time and time again. Gang, how's everybody been this past week? Doing good. Yeah, been pretty solid. We uh, I feel like for the first time in a while we. It hasn't been a crazy long time since we've talked. Has it been less than a week? Was it like five days? I think so. It's kind of nice. I like this. Feels weird. I'm still going to delay like putting this episode up by like three weeks just to (laughs) reach some semblance of the the illusion. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Daniel Radcliffe is going to be so sad. Yeah. (laughs) Long time listener, Daniel Radcliffe. With every passing Friday when we don't put up a new episode, you know he's somewhere out there like in the UK just going, fuck. So... (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Harry Potter doesn't swear. Actually, that's not true. He swears yeah, like he a thousand man. percent does. Yeah, Harry swears. All right. So uh, now this is the point where we would generally just, I don't know, catch up and then dive into our recent watches. But uh, I think we might have a bit of a surprise here for the final. Are we going to count? the? Okay. Let me go ahead and rewind a little bit. Are we going to count this as the final episode of Hammer Pub? Because this is the final movie that we're actually doing a commentary for. This is the last episode of Hammer Pub proper that we'll ever do. Now, we are going to do the follow-up episode that's going to be kind of like the wrap-up. But I feel like if that's the epilogue, then this is the final chapter of Hammer Pub. It's wild. Shit. It's wild. To me. We started Paul. We started this in what August, September of 2020, and uh, yeah, yeah, a lot of booze. I forced my way in later. We Allie, were, we were lucky enough. We were lucky enough that Allie was willing to to join us. Is Allie is elevated at it. the show? Uh, we were. Uh, I, I I only wish you had been there at the very beginning. Uh, yeah, maybe your presence might have saved me from nearly. Uh, poisoning myself with alcohol while watching curse of the werewolf maybe your presence might have saved me from watching curse of the werewolf at all i'd like to think four movies in you might have just been like hey can't we just I will do not tolerate this curse of the werewolf slander paul you have tolerated it time and time again that's true okay i will yeah, you <laughs> i'll tolerate it <laughs> all right so you know what i'm gonna go ahead and say it this is the final episode of hammer pub proper and uh there was no way we were gonna ring out this podcast without having a guest we do have a guest, <gasps> Paul. Yes. Wow, Allie, uh, you just, you, come on. That's, <laughs> dial it down. We, a, a guest I've been uh, uh, wanting to have on for a very long time, uh, Philip Fess, uh, author, comedian, uh, podcaster, YouTuber, 
Um, he has a, a, a book out, Philoween, My Gay Life, A Horror Movie in the Making. Um, he's the host of Netflix and Phil. Uh, he's <laughs> on Twitter. He's funny and amazing. And we're very lucky to have him here tonight with us. Uh, welcome. Welcome, Phil, to the Hammer Pub. Round of applause. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. you all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm so excited to be here. This is a treat for, for all the the final episode. I, I'm, I'm very excited to join you. Phil, you're swooping in right at the last and you're just uh, you're providing the mercy killing. You, you are taking the <laughs> last shot at us and uh, good on you, sir, for doing that. Smart move. You're very welcome. <laughs> now, Paul did a pretty great intro for you. I was going to say, in your own words, can you tell us a bit about yourself? And um, can you please tell me a little bit about Netflix and Phil? Because that title alone is it's fucking like marvelous. Well, of course, I'd be happy to. I think like like you and the team here, um, I discovered how we can leverage digital media during the pandemic. And I <laughs> dove into YouTube and started doing a ton of videos that nobody watched. And uh, then I began to kind of watch Netflix content. And I thought, how original. I'm just going to create a little series called Netflix and Phil. And basically, it was just me talking to the camera about a recent Netflix release. And that was fun. Uh, and then I said, well, I'm going to start inviting guests. And I had um, recognized Paul and his um, posts and his uh, love of horror films. And he was an early guest. And we talked uh, on my little web series briefly. Uh, and that was a few episodes ago. And now it's kind of evolved. Uh, you mentioned that I'm a comedian. I have friends that are actually in Netflix productions that I tapped <laughs> for interviews and they, to my delight, agreed to be in uh, some of these episodes. And granted, it's a very young web series. I have another one scheduled uh, to record this Friday, but it's just been a lot of fun and I hope it continues and has success uh, like like your podcast. So thank you. <laughs> well, hey, we're lucky to have you on and thanks again so much for being on. Oh, you're very welcome. All right. Now, I don't know if you have listened to the podcast before, but the way we start out, we uh, we tend to go around the table, as it were, and uh, kind of talk about our recent watches. We'll do that for about 30, 45 minutes or so. Maybe we'll do two picks each, if that's OK with everyone. And then we will uh, we'll dive into the commentary for uh, the last ever Hammer Pub flick that we're going to watch together and provide a commentary for. And uh, golly, we're going out on a fun note <laughs> with The Lodge. Real gas Very this fun. one is. I just, uh, maybe I'll start drinking in tonight. We'll see. Anyway, <laughs> Phil, you are our guest. Would you like to start us out and talk about a recent horror movie that you have watched that you would like to recommend to listeners? Or you could do what Paul does and just... Recommend literally any other genre of film that's not horror. Fucking right. I can. Well, I think now. Do I mention both now, or should I just start with one? Uh, just start with one, and then we'll go to Ali, Paul, myself, and then it'll be back to you. Okay. And this may have come up on your show prior, but I just had the opportunity to see um, everything, everywhere, all at once. Oh, I want to see it. 
I haven't seen it yet. And I'm I, uh, <clears throat> I watched that like two nights ago. So I am, I'm right there with you, Phil. Uh, all I can say is, and again, I don't want to spoil it for your listeners, but I was blown away. It was one of those where I wanted to go to the theaters and actually see it and um, caught it at home, which is fine, but it was, it's just really not what you're expecting. It's, it's wild is all I is all I can say and so well crafted and and uh, I got it on I think iTunes or what have you and it includes the director's commentary and that itself is so insightful and fun I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I uh, <clears throat> I watched it the other night. It's it's been one I've been like dying to see and it finally hit VOD so I picked it up on Voodoo. And I, I totally agree, Phil. It, it was, I mean, the title is Everything Everywhere All at Once, and that's about as accurate a title as a movie could ever have. Um, it really is a combination of, of sort of a lot of different concepts. Um, the way it plays with sort of science fiction and, like, expectations of the genre, it's it's endlessly inventive. It's really it's a lot funnier than I expected it to be while at the same time being consistently like emotionally compelling and heartfelt. And it just, it, it goes to some really wild places. Um, it, it never stops sort of, it never yields your attention at all. Um, I watched it with a small group of people and these were people that don't often watch like odd genre films. So I wasn't sure how they would respond to some of the choices on screen. And at the end of it, I mean, throughout the film, they were kind of shocked and surprised at sort of what they were seeing. And at, at, at the end of the day, they were all just like, Oh yeah, that was amazing. I can't quite put my finger on all that I think about it, but I know I loved it. And and that's a testament to what the movie is not to mention just seeing I don't know how the writer and the director brought that stuff to life, getting to see Michelle Yeoh in sort of a big action-y leading role was amazing. It, I, I just, yeah, I agree. I can't say enough good things about it. What genre would you characterize it as being? Because <laughs> I yeah. couldn't categorize it. I agree. I, I think I think you could make an arg- argument for several genres. Um, a- action sci-fi, I guess, is what I would call it. Uh, sure. Well, but that's yeah. a little limiting, I guess. <laughs> it's a little muddy, but I'll just say this: I've never cried as much in an action sci-fi type yeah. Yeah. production. I was like, by the end of it, I was bawling, and there's many like uh themes about relationships uh etc and um again i just don't want to give away too much because i think i think uh uh, everyone should have a chance to see it yeah agreed i can't wait i need to see it asap it's still playing the thing is like i know it's on vod but it's also still playing in theaters and i kind of want to see it on the big screen so sure and Ali, you have not seen it yet either? No, but it's still playing in Toronto. So probably Wednesday, since I have to get kicked out of my apartment, I'll just go see a movie. You got kicked out of your... Wait. Well, they're, they're replacing all of the windows in my balcony door. And they're like, for safety and insurance purposes, you can't be there. Which is fair. That seems that- shady. 
They're just here to rob me. <laughs> I would just yeah. just set up like security cameras around your room. <laughs> and on the way out, like do the whole like, you know, fingers in your eyes and then point at them just to let them know that hey, Watch. you're watching. <laughs> I counted all, all right. the change in my change jar, all right? I know how much is there. <laughs> all right. Allie, what have you seen recently in the last five days since we've last spoken? Uh, not a lot, but I did get to go see the infamous Life Force on the big screen. Ooh. A film society in Toronto that my best friend runs uh, called Nightmare Alley at the Review Cinema was playing it because it's a fucking great movie. Like Matilda May forever and Toby Hooper forever. And like, oh my God, I always forget that Patrick Stewart is in it until he's like aggressively in it. (laughs) (laughs) And like, it's just like, that movie blows my mind. Like, I don't know. I mean, I kind of get why people gave it a bum rap when it came out, but also whatever. It's a great film. It came from a solid company. Good old, was it Canon? I is there anything better than like mid eighties Canon Toby Hooper movies? Really? Yes. Or just Canon movies in general? Because didn't they also do like oh, who was that? Like Superman three or something? And then like, did they do a Racerhead? No, 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 that wasn't them. What am I thinking of? Yeah, Canon would more likely make. Eraser with Arnold Schwarzenegger. They Maybe didn't. I'm but... thinking... Yeah, I can see them making Eraser. <laughs> but yeah, it's so good. If anyone out there hasn't seen it, it's just this team of astronauts who find these crazy space bats. And then there's also humans. So they take the humans back. Like, that's not going to be a fucking problem. And then Matilda May is naked through the whole movie and she's just killing everybody and it's so great. <laughs> that is a it is a beautiful movie too. I gotta imagine it's gorgeous on the big screen. It is. It like I've only ever seen it on like smaller little screens because obviously I wasn't even alive when it came out. But like seeing it on a nice big theater screen with like a nice, like decent sized audience, I was like, fuck yeah, this is how this movie should be seen. That's awesome. I I would love to see that in a theater. I would love to see, I would love to program like a triple bill of like Texas Chainsaw to Life Force and uh, oh, I always pooch the title. What is it? Uh, Invaders, Invaders from, from Mars. Mars. Yes. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Terrified me as a kid and I loved it. It's got some great like weird creature stuff in Invaders from, from Mars. It's a fun movie. Well, Canon makes good pictures. <laughs> yeah, I, I love um, I love Cobra. That's one of my favorite Canon movies. Uh, Masters of the Universe. And uh, the other one I love is uh, Ten to Midnight. That's a really Ooh, good. Yeah, well, I have not seen that one. Oh, dude, it's so good. <laughs> it's amazing. I know, like every boutique. Like Blu-ray label has put it out by this point. Like I, I need to that. I know. <laughs> it, do, it does have uh, both a Twilight Time and a Scream Factory. <laughs> it's like every time they put it out, it's like you have no more excuses. Yeah. Why haven't you watched me? It is quite good. It's a. It's one of my favorite Bronson vehicles. 
Oh my god, and Canon was totally, I'm looking them up right now, I didn't, for whatever reason, I did not realize that they were also uh, Golden Globus. And I watched yes. so mm-hmm. many of their movies after hours when I shouldn't have, when I was a kid <laughs> in the mid-80s. Like, so many. Yeah, I shouldn't have been watching Death Wish 2 late at night, but... <laughs> I but only just did. saw the movie and I'm like, mm, not for me. Yeah, it's... it's yeah, the it's Death Wish a, movies are a little, a little tough. Yeah, especially uh, the sequels. 3. The sequels. Domination. Ninja oh my Three God. is amazing. Missing in action. That's Ninja a this movie ever made. Classic. Um, this could be the follow up to the uh, Hammer Pub. Cannon <laughs> Pub. The Cannon. <laughs> I would be so down for that. It would be a Where wild would podcast. <laughs> there was a great documentary about Cannon that came out a few years ago too. I believe that was. Yeah, was there was. Yeah. Alright, Paul, how about you? Uh, yeah, I've watched a surprising amount of things in the last uh, five days. Paul's um, really surprising. I guess not. You watch so much. I envy I the do. hell out of you. I watch a lot. Um, I'm going to call out, as everyone knows, I'm a huge horror comedy person. Um, so I finally checked out 1982's Pandemonium. Ooh, did you like it? So I I did like it. It's it is it is ridiculously dumb uh, and very surface level. But man, the cast in this movie is so wild. So it's starring a very young Carol Kane and uh, Judge Reinhold. Love Judge. <gasps> He's not uh, a um, judge. <laughs> And they are like, it's, it's, it's pretty much like, think, um, did you guys ever see student bodies? Oh, fuck. Yeah. That show was great. Student bodies is one of my favorites from that time period. It's a lot like that where it's, it's very, it's very over the top parody. It's kind of in the vein of like an airplane or something where it's just sending up a bunch of horror movies. Um, and it's set up like a teen slasher where, you know, years ago, there were these cheerleaders and then a bunch of people killed them. So they closed down the cheerleader camp. Years later, they're reopening the cheerleader camp. And now all these people are going to it and they're going to get killed. And Carol Kane plays like the Carrie character, like literally like brought up in this strict religious home. And she has power, like, you know, telekinesis and like can blow things up. And so they just kind of establish her as like this this angsty teen with powers going to the cheerleader camp and um you know judge reinhold is sort of the rich guy who's just horny and wants to get laid uh but there's a lot of like crazy other famous cameos in like phil hartman's in it paul paul rubens is in it uh tab hunter um it's just got this bizarrely stacked cast and so even when it's not like working or when the humor feels really dated, which sometimes it does and not all of the goofs land, you're just kind of delighted by it. So I don't know if you're somebody who's into uh, kind of that spoof sort of movie. And obviously if you're a horror fan, you just kind of like seeing something poking at the tropes. It's, it's a fun movie. It's definitely worth checking out. I had a bootleg copy of that movie on beta that my dad really? ripped off of HBO. And HBO was like the one cable service back wow. in the 80s. He recorded it off HBO. And I used to like 
carry that tape around to like friends and family and watch it at their homes. And it it was uh, <laughs> it's <laughs> it's pretty iconic. I remember one of the kills. Wow. I don't know. There's one of the, one kill that stands. I appreciate you bringing it up, Paul, because I couldn't for the life of me ever remember the title, and I kept confusing it with student bodies. Oh, but, okay. But it's pandemonium. Okay, so I'll have to. Read. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's that is hilarious. I love that. Um, okay. And if you if you're interested in you know rediscovering it, uh, the reason I was able to watch it is uh, Vinegar Syndrome put out a really nice Blu-ray of it. Okay. So it's a full restoration, and it looked gorgeous, and it's got a bunch of special features and stuff. So like, if if you're really into that movie, um, it's yeah, it's a great release. So I would definitely check it out. It was part of my formative years, my prepubescent childhood, so definitely. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's amazing. I That's wish I had seen this movie when I was younger, because I think I would have loved it. Ordered <laughs> it, brought it to other people's houses. Yeah, yeah that is amazing. <laughs> it was one of those things where my dad, who introduced me to horror and also had a great sense of humor, he... um would he would take it around to friends and family members and be like you gotta see this and would just play it for them and it's just the type of entertainment that's kind of laugh out loud funny but god i haven't seen it and i was probably 11 10 11 12 when i last saw it yeah no i i think you're right i think it's again student bodies is a great comparison um so it yeah it's if you're into that kind of thing i I don't think it disappoints (laughs) (laughs) All right, I need to seek this out. I've never seen it. So, uh, and what was the label again, Paul? Vinegar Syndrome. Oh, nice. Okay, is that a new release? Uh, last uh, probably six months. So this year, I think. So okay. yeah, relatively new. I will have to check it out. Um, I am only going to have one go around tonight. I mean, I guess I could have two, but honestly, it's. I, there's no need. Uh, in the last few days, I've only watched uh, one set of horror movies. I revisited the um, the Laid to Rest films. Has everyone here seen them? I've yes. seen the second one. It had Brian Austin Green with it, and my ex made me watch it. And I was like, this is great. That like reverse scissor move thing on like the stairs or whatever, into it. <laughs> Wait, so you haven't uh, you haven't seen the first one then? Nope, no idea how it starts. <laughs> I mean, the the second one is kind of standalone. They they tie up everything that you need to know from the first film pretty cleanly in the first five minutes of the sequel. But um, and Paul, I know you've seen them. Phil, how about you? I have not. This is all brand new to me, and I'm very curious. <laughs> okay, so uh, Ali, you haven't seen the first one. Paul, you've seen both. How would you describe mm-hmm. these movies beyond being, you know? very mean-spirited neo-slashers um, that are that are low-budget, but yeah. still very well-made, even for that. Yeah, I agree. I think they're... They reminded me a little bit of how I felt after watching the first Hatchet movie. Yes. Um, not the sequels, but the very first one. Like like you said, it's, it's low-budget, but there's a there's a charm to the low budget. Like you can tell all the money they have is up on screen and they do put a lot of effort into the, the gore and the kills. It does feel very like influenced by 
old school slashers. <clears throat> it is mean. They're mean as hell. But there's there's levity there, and there's some there's a little bit of fun in them. And and the second one, I think, I think the second one hits its stride a little bit. Like it, it kind of gets what worked about the first one, and and I like some of the ways they play with like the characters in the second one a little bit more. I think they're both pretty good though. I think for me, they, they sit fairly equally in my mind and that's a good thing. Like I, I, I enjoyed them both. Yeah. So for anyone out there listening who doesn't know what these movies are, uh, late to rest has a pretty neat opening. We are, uh, we're introduced to a young woman who wakes up in a coffin inside of a, uh, a funeral home. She has amnesia, has no idea who she is or why she's there. And all she knows is that this hulking, like six foot seven killer in a sleek black suit and a chromed out skull mask affixed to his, uh, his bald noggin is uh, chasing after her, doing his damnedest to kill her. And that's pretty much it. It's kind of a chase movie. It's all about getting from point A to point B and doing, you know, her damnedest to stay alive the entire time. But along the way, she picks up uh, uh, friends, you know, uh, people who want to help her out. And um, it, it's it's simple in that regard, but there's a surprising amount of heart here and there. The characters are actually pretty well drawn and, uh and the kills are very sort of inventive. They're very creative. They're very, uh, and what's cool is they're practical. There is so much practical effects work. It makes you miss the days when all effects were practical. Um, and they are, they are gory and horrible and fun. And, uh, yeah. And it just, it, it introduces a slasher that has really kind of a fascinating mythology behind him that we don't, I think it's all the more fascinating because we only kind of sort of get a peek at it in the first film. Uh, in the second film, there's, you know, they pull the curtain back a little more, but there's still something kind of unknowable about that character. And that's, uh, that's what makes them fascinating. Uh, they were both made by, uh, a guy named Robert Hall. He was a makeup effects guy who, uh, uh, did loads of work on major productions for like television shows and movies and whatnot. And, um, these movies were kind of like a labor of love for him, I think. Um, it's not the best thing he made. His first ever film was a movie called Lightning Bug back in 2006, and it was kind of like a semi-autobiographical look at a uh, young boy growing up in Alabama, um, strictly you know conservative religious community, uh, and here he was, like the kid who read Fangoria magazine and you know messed around with plaster and latex, like making monster masks and whatnot. And, uh, it's, it's a really charming movie. It's definitely worth checking out, but, uh, you know, with the laid the rest movies, they're, they're just full on. They're kind of like the movies that the guy from lightning bug would have made if he grew up, went to Hollywood, struck it, you know, uh, successful as a makeup effects artist. And then eventually started directing movies, which is kind of actually what happened. So, um, yeah, no, I, I, I think they're a great deal of fun. Um, I just wish there were more, you know, that last movie came out over a decade ago. Oh, what's that? Shout out to Robert Hall, who is no longer with us, but was a fucking great dude. Yeah. I wanted to mention that too, that he actually, he did pass away last year and, uh, so sad. I got to meet him briefly at a convention. It was when uh, Chrome Skull, yeah, Chrome Skull Lay the Rest 2 was coming out, so it would have been 2011. I was at some convention, and he was there promoting the movie with uh, Nick Principi, uh, who plays Chrome Skull, and they were, like, signing posters and whatnot. And I actually got to chat with him at length about Lightning Bug and how much it meant to me, and uh, he was like, you know what, you're, hang on. 
And he like dug around in his stuff and he found like this old lightning bug like poster that was kind of like a theatrical poster, even though it never had a wide theatrical release. But he signed it to me and, you know, it just it chatted with me endlessly. He was very much like a fan's fan, I think. And uh, I actually I did a, uh, a profile for Bloody Disgusting with uh, Nick Principe about his time as Chrome Skull. And he introduced me to Robert Hall via you know, email, and uh, I was going to interview him about the unmade third laid to rest film. And um, it was so weird. Like, I emailed him, he gave me a cell phone number. We texted back and forth about, you know, setting up a time to do the interview. He was working, uh, I think, in Hawaii at the time, covering a friend's effects shop who uh, was out with COVID at the time. So it was kind of like covering for me. It was like, you know, next week, let's uh, let's talk next week. This would be great. And I was like, great. And then like two days later he was um he was gone so um, it's just such a bummer and uh I, I i think he was a really interesting filmmaker i really dug his work and he was a hell of a makeup effects artist i think one of the best so anyway yeah folks out there listening if you haven't gotten a chance to check out those movies definitely uh seek them out even his uh his last movie uh it wasn't i don't think as successful as his previous three um i think it was fear factory is that right fear or fear inc something like that okay i'm a terrible fan i can't remember what the name of the last movie was fear clinic fear clinic thank you yeah um not as successful a film as his previous movies and yet still interesting enough like he had a great eye you know he had a knack for writing you know ensemble pieces with really interesting like characters with more dimension and depth than you would expect out of movies of that ilk and uh Again, always spot on, like, incredible effects work. So, uh, yeah, definitely my hat's off to Mr. Hall and his work. I'm uh, I'm a fan still, so. And Allie, did you know him? No, Chris did, and they had a – it was hard when he passed. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay, and Phil, back over to you. Yeah, what let's else bring have you the seen recently? Up. <laughs> I, I, you know, when I got into that, I wasn't actually planning on being down, and I'm sorry. Uh, I'm glad you brought it up because this is a total blind spot for me so I have to investigate laid to rest Um, and then of course revisiting pandemonium and then Allie mentioned life force uh, Toby Hooper so I am going to kind of stay in this vein and there was a buzz on social media recently about the 40th anniversary of the release of poltergeist so yes and i popped it in and watched it start to finish and (laughs) i mentioned earlier about betamax and i uh, i'm an older person and i can recall when that movie was first getting released to home video and um widescreen versions of films didn't happen then and On this last watch, I was realizing what I was missing on an old 4x3 television uh, watching Poltergeist when I was younger and now getting to see the whole picture because, you know, they cropped everything and tried to have it fill the frame. And I was like, oh, I missed so much as a kid watching this at home because you couldn't see the entire image. That, and it's just a great film. So... So Poltergeist is my my choice. <laughs> it is I mean, uh, a, 
I love it. It is one of Spielberg's best. Hey, now. Runs away, ducks for cover. I'm kidding. I'm oh kidding. Oh, my God. Do you I'm want kidding. all of Twitter to turn against you? I don't. Yes, I agree. Poltergeist, best film he's ever done. No, I, you know what's, I don't know how to land on, actually, I take that back. I know exactly how to land on that. I don't care that. Yeah, I, I, Joe Bob Briggs, ages ago, this was like 20 years ago, I remember reading something that he wrote about that movie, and he was like, you know what, when you see the corpses in the swimming pool, like, that's pure Hooper, you see all the flashing lights and the wonder and whatnot, that's Spielberg, like, that says all you need to know about that collaboration, like, it's definitely a product of both men, so what's... I guess, right? I, yeah, and I agree, I, I think part of it, though, is, like, who can, like, I don't, I don't get why people are so hell-bent on taking it away from Hooper. Well, I think you know it's I mean? simply because we don't know for certain. Like, there's never been anybody who definitively said one way or another. But, well, and so, we do because it's written on the credits, right? Like, right, but, <laughs> he directed okay. it. Like, but so it is a consistent, you know, rumor to the point where, and you remember, I'm certain, like, uh, oh my goodness, how many years ago was it? That, uh, that episode of Shockwaves where... Uh, I don't know. It was yeah, the, where the director who was like, director yeah, yeah. Photography came on and somebody that. asked him, they were like, and I remember El- Elric Kane caught some hell for it from uh, Carolyn Williams, among others, probably uh, for even daring to ask the question, which I think is dumb because it's just a question. <laughs> like, ask the question. Calm down. Everybody. Right. No. Exactly. But he asked, he was like, so what was it? You know, like, and, and it's, which is a fair question to ask because that rumor persisted for a reason, like whether or not that reason is valid or not, who knows. But nevertheless, when you bring up Poltergeist, that is always the footnote that you have to contend with when considering that movie. And so he asked the question and the, the, was it the cinematographer said, you know, it was, it was Spielberg. Like Spielberg called the shots on that movie, which is something to consider. But at the same time, Paul, and I actually fall into your camp on this. When you look at the movie, it's Hooper's name. Spielberg himself has said, yeah, like it was a special collaboration between the two, but Hooper directed the movie. Hooper said he directed the movie. If everyone is saying that Hooper directed the movie, why yeah. can't we all get together as a society and say he directed the fucking movie? Well, yeah, and he could he directed it knowing that he was also making an Amblin film. So he he fully incorporated some of Spielberg's stylistic, you know, things. But my argument's always been when you watch that movie, that movie doesn't, I mean, it, it has Spielbergian moments, but there's no other movie in Spielberg's filmography that feels like Poltergeist to me. I don't think it, that as a whole, as a complete entity, it is not the type of movie that Spielberg was making. Sure. There's darkness in some of his films, but like, if we say maybe like Jaws and Duel are like some of his definitive straight horror movies. Those are very different than what Poltergeist is. And even though they both have like deep emotionality and really human moments in them, the way Hooper captures that is different than how Spielberg captures it. You know what I mean? And I, and I think that is tangible. I think you can feel that when you watch it. Um, And it ties together more with, with Hooper's filmography for me. I agree with you, and yet, at the same time, just to be argumentative is all hell. Considering <laughs> another genre entirely, because I think you're right, in a way. You know, if you if you if if we go genre to genre, uh, yeah, as a horror movie, you can compare, uh, you know, apples to oranges and look at Poltergeist and then Duel, or Poltergeist and then Jaws. Yeah, they are markedly different, but 
what if we look at something like Close Encounters, you know? And, like, that to me seems like it's it's almost a kissing cousin in many ways to Poltergeist. And yet, do, do, does that mean that Spielberg absolutely, positively, like, called the shots 100% of the time on that? And that, for some reason, I guess part of the reason that maybe but, this bugs me now, this argument whenever people bring it up in a way that it didn't five or six or seven years ago is that we now live in a world where Toby Hooper can't defend himself. Not that he ever felt that he had to, but it, it we we've gotten to the point where the horse has been beaten to glue. Yeah. And yeah. now the man who's at the center of, you know, this is no longer around to defend himself if he cares to. And so I feel like, yeah, it, it should probably finally be it, let, yeah, it's like- let lie you know just give it to hooper you know like he deserves it well, he's and, earned uh, it. going to what Allie talked about just a few minutes ago like life force you you can draw a parallel between like poltergeist and life force and be like yeah, okay clearly sure. they are made by the same man um yeah. or even invaders from mars like they are bigger yeah. films. oh yes yeah. they have spectacle yeah. they have wonder they have all those things i think for whatever reason when people look at poltergeist at that point in hooper's career all they can see is texas chainsaw and eaten alive and it's like the man was capable of more than that I can I I just want to interject one thing and then I'll shut up. No, please. <laughs> it's funny. I, I as you're posing this dialogue, which I love. I love rich dialogue and discussion around this movie today. And it it really speaks to the one we're about to watch. It's not unheard of to have two directors on a film, and why it was so why we have to attribute it to one person or the other maybe it was just a collaborative effort of these two um film powerhouses and again this just dawned on me right now but it's not unheard of to have i mentioned everything everywhere all at once uh two filmmakers behind that um the lodge which we're about to talk about uh the matrix movies there's that's not uncommon to have a duo behind the film itself so i guess i'm arguing it could have very well been a collaborative effort between the two of them but just one person got the director credit i don't know yeah and i think i mean you know if you look at that story it's clear that it has a lot of spielbergian hallmarks i yeah he was huge at that point. Well, he was never not huge, honestly. I think uh, he turned 27 and he was only ever a major, you know, massive player at that point from there until now. But, you know, maybe he was on set. Maybe he was kind of imposing his will. You know, maybe he was or not. And I, I, that that's a horribly negative way to put it. But, I mean, maybe he was there guiding the vision a bit. Who knows? You know, but if, like I said, if he feels as though Hooper directed it and Hooper, you know, certainly never countered that. And that's what the ultimate credit is. And Hooper's now gone. And we've talked about this for 40 years. I I, I wish, and here I am talking about it too. So I guess I'm part of the problem, right? Um, But I just, (laughs) I I wish any time that that movie celebrates something, you know, any of the four of us or any of our listeners out there, you know, we might be spared hopping onto Twitter now and seeing people, taking up this argument, you know, this debate as though uh, it were brand new, which is what happens every time, you know, 
This movie, I wish we could just appreciate the movie that we have. You know, it doesn't matter ultimately what was happening behind the camera. Look at what they gave us. Yeah, it's um, it's one of the great mm-hmm. movies, and and I, I always looked at it like, and I agree with you, Phil. Like, it is definitely a collaboration, regardless of anything else, and that's that's a good thing. I think Spielberg was doing his job as the executive producer. You know, he was overseeing production. He was, you know, adding in little nuances and making recommendations and then allowing Hooper to do the job of the director. So I think it's, it is a collaboration Um, and they each had their role to play and they played those roles really well. And we got a a pretty much a perfect movie out of it. (laughs) Absolutely. 40 years, 40, right? That's just, Mm -hmm. all right, Allie, how about you? Um, I watched a lot of garbage reality shows in the last five days. Just <laughs> oh, how about you? <laughs> no, I want to hear about the garbage reality shows. <laughs> oh, there's one called Celebrity Cookoff, and it's like Vanilla Ice and Julio competing. Like <laughs> Paul, how about you? Paul, that sounds like a like a that sounds like a made up show off of Thirty Rock. <laughs> a beautiful show, and I love it. Um. Not watching something, but I did my first day on set for being in the new music video for Blood Opera, a cool band in Toronto. Nice. Nice. I've been watching all of your stuff on Instagram, and I'm like, I I can't wait to see this video. It's going to be so good. And, like, spoiler to everybody out there listening, it's based on – because they do metal music based around horror movies, and this one's based around Candyman. So I get to be the Helen character, and nice. and next month I get to have my face covered in live bees. Huge. I've been uh, I'm so happy that you mentioned them because I've uh, I've discovered their music through you, and I've been listening to their stuff on my way to and from work, and I I really dig their sound, and I uh, I love what they do. I lo- I love that they do those riffs on like you know classic horror films. Heck yes. Oh my god, next time well, next time you come to Toronto. So when you come to Toronto eventually, uh make it around like a Friday the thirteenth. You can come see them perform in front of the movie Friday the thirteenth, because they do it every single Friday the thirteenth. Sold. Although yeah, you yeah. are visiting uh uh Florida at some point, right? Yes, now that we learn that my family lives like two miles from you. Literally, Allie is. I'm. I'm riding in a Starbucks, and my my phone dings, and I get a message, and she's like, "Oh my god!" So apparently, my aunt lives right next to you, and I was like, "Wait, what?" And yet, we we did the math. She told me the street, and I looked it up, and it was. It's actually further away from my apartment, but where I was at at that time, it was literally two miles away oh, wow. from where I was sitting, and I was like, "It is a small fucking world." It's such a small world. Like, what are the odds? Because I brought up the podcast and brought that you also lived in Florida. And she was like, oh, whereabouts? And I said, and she was like, oh, I mean, technically we're in that area, but they moved the Sarasota border. So we're in like the rich part, but we're still in the Manatee County. And I'm like, Manatee County? Oh my God, get a life, Florida. Yeah, it's called Manatee County. It's a, <laughs> it's a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But now so, we all but, have an excuse to hang out. <laughs> I was going to say, like, visit in October – Halloween Horror Nights. I'm just saying. Like, I want to go to Halloween Horror Nights. Two hours away. If Allie goes Chris. to visit, I'll I'll find a way to be there. I was going to say, I told her, I was like, look, Allie, bring Chris. We're going to invite Paul to like fly down or whatever. We'll all go to Orlando. It'll be a gas. Phil, you're now invited too. 
I would love to. That's my <laughs> speaking of haunts. That's my old haunt because I lived in Central Florida for several years, so I'd be happy to go. What the? Where did you live? I uh, I was in Claremont. I worked for I worked for Disney for four years, so I um I know that area. That is, I'm trying to think where is Claremont near Orlando or? Yeah, it's near Orlando. Oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. How was it working for Disney? Oh my gosh, we'd need another hour. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if we have that kind of time. Would you give it like a a a a, a, a thumbs up or a thumbs uh, not so up? I give it like a seven out of ten. I I thought it was a oh, great. Nice. Yeah, I'd give it a it, it was a great experience. Um, but everything that's problematic, you know, working there today were the same problems it was having when I worked there, and this was in the late nineties. So uh, yeah. yeah. But hey, if you ever want to come back and like check out your old stomping grounds again, just like seriously, October. Halloween Horror Nights. Like, I seriously want to make it like a a horror Twitter mecca. Like this year, just get everybody there. I'll invite Zena and Rico and uh, uh, Michael Verratti has been you know like near the area before. We'll see if he can visit. You know, speaking of which, I messaged him to see if he wanted to do like a a last minute cameo in this episode because uh, it just you know seems like it'd be right. <laughs> What did he say? Is he, uh, he hasn't gotten back to me yet. He's promoting all about evil right now. Oh, is he? Yeah. Uh, okay. Over to Paul. Uh, sure. Let's see. For my second one, um, I will talk about a another Vinegar Syndrome movie because I've been going through. I just got my uh, halfway through the year sale order in, so I've been going through some back titles and stuff to try to catch up because i'm like super behind uh, i watched a movie from 1973 called horror high um <clears throat> i don't know if anybody's ever seen it it's kind of a <laughs> i'm guessing no <laughs> um it kind of reminded me a little bit of willard only instead of like rats he like concocts things with with like his science skills to make like sort of monsters and things to kind of exact his revenge on the people who kind of torment him in high school. Um, it's very low budget, very kind of regional kind of has a slasher feel, but instead of like a killer, there's like monsters, you know, in the same way that Willard has a bit of a slasher feel. Um, it really does feel like that kind of movie uh and there's a lot of like fun tropes in it like there's kind of the like the creepy janitor there's sort of a a mean strict teacher there's like the gym coach who kind of like is trying to drive everybody to be more sporty and you know our main character is kind of this nerdy whiz kid who you know is is very talented in in science in school but doesn't know how to actually interact with people um, and he ends up transforming his guinea pig uh, into sort of a monster. Uh, and then, like, towards the end of the movie, it kind of becomes like a Jekyll and Hyde thing with him, where he starts, like, experimenting on himself and sort of turning himself into a monster to get revenge. 
Um, I had a pretty good time with it, actually. It was pretty fun. It kept my interest. It was never boring. Uh, it's my favorite kind of runtime, which means it's under 90 minutes. It's 85 minutes long, which I love. Perfect. Yeah, just it it was a good time. It was it was the kind of movie that like you would discover just sort of browsing through VHS tapes at your video store and look at the cover and go, this looks wild and take it home and have a fun Saturday night. So horror high recommended. Adding it to the list. (laughs) There are so many movies that Vinegar Syndrome puts out that I I want to see them all, but I know I never will. Well, if you if you come hang out with me, Jinx, you can watch all of them because I've, I've got them all. <laughs> there is not enough time <laughs> for us to get through them all. How, how much they put out in a month, would you think? Uh, three to four movies a month, although some months are heavier than others, you know, and sometimes they do box sets and stuff. Uh, so it's it's hard to qualify. I, I will say this month. I got a freaking box of like 10 movies. So, you know, I'm way behind. That's obscene. I know. I have, a, I have, a, you know, I have an illness. I just keep buying these goddamn movies. I can't stop. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, I, I, like I said, I did not, uh, I didn't really watch much the past few days, but, uh, all that means is that we can go ahead and dive into our commentary. Now, Whether we're watching on streaming or physical media or whatnot, let's go ahead and get to the very first frame of the movie, and then we will do our countdown. Now, is that the neon sign? Uh, It's a good question. As questions go. Uh, Let me go ahead and start mine and see what, uh, what starts us out. I'm going to say it was like a Universal logo, weirdly enough, but... Where's my remote control? Yep, I'm totally getting Universal. Mine does the neon sign, then Filmation, then Hammer. I don't... the hell? Where's my remote? No, I'm I'm seeing Universal. Big globe, big letters. I never... I don't ever get Universal. It goes... (laughs) And then it starts the movie, so... Mine's okay. Now I've got Neo. Okay, all right, so I gotta, so Neon is where Neon is there, so let me kind of back up to the first frame Mine, okay, we had this issue last week too, because when I have, I'm from Canada, so when I get stuff on Prime, I have a different intro than you guys. So my my first one is VVS Films. What the (laughs) hell? It happened last week when you guys said, I don't remember What's after that? (laughs) What's after VVS? Are they just making stuff up up there? A thousand percent are, us Canadians don't know what we're doing. (laughs) <laughs> hey 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 i have no idea what this one is hey, it's like a that swiss chalet sauce tells tells me otherwise you all know what you're doing um so that it My follows God. up with oh that chalet sauce it's so good see phil or paul you have to try it now well phil you can try it too well. give me your address i'll send you some. <laughs> i it's love so it <laughs> I, tr- I tried the Kit Kat with popcorn and that was wa- that was a wild life-changing experience <laughs> um so my next intro is Film Nation Entertainment. <laughs> okay, I've got that. Uh, it's okay, like shuffling a deck of cards here with these title cards. I okay, you know what? To that. Let's do what we did before. Let's queue up to the first frame of the Hammer logo. Okay. All right. Phil, I'm, I'm so sorry. Oh, we're no. back to the Marvel Universe one with all the all the pictures. 
Yeah. The good logo, yeah. That's the good logo. Phil, how are you doing? Are you are you, are you good? Can you advance to the uh, the hammer logo? I'm following along. No, I'm doing great. And you're right. It is very resplendent of the um, Marvel titles. I love it, too. Okay, I'm there. Okay, so okay, I'm at I, the I, hammer logo. Got a big bunch of mummy on the screen right now. I'm paused. So uh, let's go ahead and do a countdown so we can dive right into this. Uh, this movie. <clears throat> I wonder if I should pour a drink first. Should I? Given the oh movie, if given the fact that this is last I have, I have some beers. I'm I'm currently sipping on a on all a right. stone IPA. If we're all gonna have a beverage, I'll have a beverage. I'll just I'll go for water now, but we'll see how long it takes me. I'm guessing about six and a half minutes before I uh, resort to alcohol. Just set a <laughs> guess. All right, I got my locally made cider. Nice. Little girl starts crying in the movie. I'm I'm probably just gonna stick oh, a straw in a bottle break, of brandy. Breaks and, my uh, heart that stuff. The little yeah. kid, as a dad of two little girls, that oh stuff God. is like fucking. Oh. I can't even, man. We'll we'll get to it. We'll get. Well, to as it. A, I gotta tell you, like as a dad of no little girls, I uh, I was sitting in the movie theater watching this film, like sobbing, and I'm like. I just saw a trailer for a Marvel movie five minutes ago. Yeah. Why am I sobbing in the middle of the theater right now? What the fuck? Because you have yeah. emotions. I well, I have I have a slightly funny story about me seeing this in the theater. Because I this is the only one of these that I've seen in a theater. This was kind of a special movie for me too, uh so, in a in a worse way. <laughs> yeah, so we should we should press play and and, and get to our all right, uh, everyone. Stories. Let's go ahead and do the countdown. We're all starting on the mummy. He looks so cool. Ready in five, four, three, two, one, and play. All right. Oh, and yeah. that is a gorgeous logo. Love that logo. I love it. It's so good. Now, just imagine if, like Marvel, they did a shared universe with all the monsters in it. You know, I wouldn't even say Marvel. You know what? We're talking about classic monsters here. What if uh, what if we say they do like the universal thing? Yeah, that's they, uh, universal. Well, yeah. And didn't they try that with Tom Cruise's the Mon- project? Yeah. Universal tried it. They Dracula were going to do the Dark Universe thing. And uh, yeah, they put out all of one movie and they were like, whoops. Yeah. And uh, we're well, wasn't wasn't Dracula Untold part of that too? Sort of. No, Dracula. Dracula started out as Dracula Year Zero. It was developed for years. I think at one point, uh, Alex Proyas, the guy who did The Crow, was going to direct it, and Sam Worthington yeah. was going to play Vlad. And uh, it just it kept going through development hell. They eventually made the movie, and in the middle of production, they decided they were going to do the Dark Universe thing, and rather than do a brand new Dracula, they just decided to shoot new scenes with, uh, you know, people in uh, Dracula Untold, and uh, sort of retroactively tied into the Dark Universe. So I guess, technically, there were two Dark Universe movies, but... Yeah. At the same time, by the time The Mummy came out, like right before the, the guy, the mastermind behind the Dark Universe, he was doing interviews. And he was already kind of shying away from Dracula Untold as being their Dracula. So oh. I even if it had been a success, I think they would have left the next Dracula movie to the end of that first cycle if they would have gone through phases. And it likely would have been somebody else and they would have just rebooted it. 
Makes sense. But they didn't do that because the mummy, uh, well, you know. So I think this movie immediately gives me hereditary vibes with the dollhouse stuff and a sad woman. (laughs) A sad woman. (laughs) Exactly. It completely does. And Alicia Silverstone, I think with with um she has little screen time but um does great in this also a movie where she has very little screen time is um just came out on netflix is it senior prom am i saying that right the rebel wilson oh yeah senior senior year senior year okay so did you I know, I know we're not, we probably shouldn't be talking about Rebel Wilson commentary in our lunch commentary, but did you like senior year? I adored senior year. Okay. This is oh, sorry, giving man. me flashbacks to it because if you've seen it, Paul, you're, you know, yeah. why I'm mentioning Alicia, Alicia Silverstone. So I fucking loved senior year and everybody else hated it like everyone on twitter hated it every like all the reviews i recommended it to people and then i got like text back like why did you have me watch this movie i'm like because it's great and you're crazy like it's so funny i don't know what is people's deal with it but like i thought it was great i thought it was so funny I invite you all to come on Netflix and Phil, and we'll talk about it. I will. I will <laughs> yes. talk about it. I will talk about that movie all day long. So we yeah, can also talk sure. about uh, Justice for Rebel during that too, because something yes. pretty horrible happened there in the last couple of days. Yeah, I saw that. That was terrible. Such horseshit. Um, oh, that's but, such bullshit. Yeah. Fuck those guys. Absolutely bullshit. Uh, one thing I did want to call out really early in this movie is like, I love how I love the way it's shot. So you mentioned the directors earlier, uh, Veronica Franz and was it Severin Fiala? Am I saying that right? Um, The way they shoot and I've seen Goodnight Mommy and I like this one significantly more than that one. Um, And I guess we could compare those at some point, but I like how everything's far away. Everything feels detached, kind of distant. Um, you know, like camera angles are not what you expect them to be. There's not a lot of like medium and close-ups. It's all like, like sort of far high angle or low angle shots. And like, it's very apparent right from the beginning of the movie that there's like emotional detachment across every character with the exception of the kids, which I thought was really clever. Like the kids are shown really close together and they're interacting together in a close knit way but nobody else sort of has that visually. And it, and it sort of starts to tell the story right from the beginning. I love that brief shot too of, uh, I think you just see the top of Grace's head as she sort of, you know, glides through frame and in the hiding fully, it kind of reminds me in a weird way of uh, that moment in Halloween of Michael Myers, just kind of hanging outside the window. If that makes Alicia Silverstone Laurie here, but there, there's something just kind of so sad about that moment, like the look on her face and how stricken she seems realizing that not only is that woman still there, but everyone had to lie to her to make her feel better about her not being there, you know? Well, yeah. And to your point, um, the Riley, uh, is it co how do you pronounce her last name? I think it's Keo, maybe Keo. uh, her character for the first like half hour, 45 minutes, like is just seen obscured like hidden, like a ghost. She She's haunting them, you know? Or, you know, you could view it as 
she's either they're protected from her or perhaps she's protected from them. There's a veil between her and the family until that veil is sort of forced to be broken, at which point, you know, the downward spiral truly begins. Um, But is that so how do we interpret that in regards to the husband character? Right. Because he's sort of the orchestrator of all of that, like hiding her, you know, forcing his children to go off with this woman. Like, I guess what's everyone's take on the general movie and this character and these people? I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Cause to me, he's the one that I sort of fall back on as being the biggest piece of shit. <laughs> I mean, any movie that has a sad wife, you know, the husband's going to be a piece of shit. Yeah. I think it's interesting, like leading up to this, that she straightened the books, like everything had to be in its place. Um, you know, three minutes before she does what she's almost certainly planning to do the entire time, she she tidies oh, up, God. you know. Did that moment shock everybody? As if. I was shocked. I'm yeah. sorry. Um, I, was I was absolutely I, shocked. I was I, being punny, Paul. <laughs> Clueless, come on. Oh, man. I thought you were telling me I'm dumb. I don't know. What it, no, Ellie, no, no. Did that Was that like a surprising <laughs> moment when you first saw it? Hey, wait, you can come back to me. I was just kidding a second ago. Yes, it was shocking. Sorry. No, I just have my own weird surprising. I opened just an email on my phone because I'm a piece of shit in this podcast, apparently. And the hospital that I was at today sent me all of my MRI scans. And I'm just like, holy shit, that's what my brain looks like. I'm going to send you guys some screenshots <laughs> of just so you guys can see what my brain looks like. Amazing. <laughs> I want to see Ellie's brain. It's the sexiest <laughs> part of me. All that knowledge. So much knowledge. Yeah, this is this is devastating. This was not the movie that I thought I signed on for when I went to the movies to see this. I, I don't know what I was expecting out of The Lodge. I hadn't seen much in the way of the marketing. I I knew it was a Hammer movie, but I also kind of got the sense that it wasn't going to be a Hammer movie. And we can talk about whether or not this is a Hammer movie in so many ways. But yeah, just five minutes in... It, it, it punches you in the mouth. And, uh, was, and this is such a weird... I, I don't understand the black balloons. Um, as a, I'm not saying as a choice in the movie. I'm saying, like, why would you... And, and I'm not knocking anybody if, uh, if, you know, if you release black balloons at a funeral, like, hey, like... It's also really uh, bad for the environment to release balloons because animals end up eating them and choking on them and dying. <laughs> it might be kind of, I don't know, symbolic. Like she was hoping the balloon would lift that doll that resembles her mother, you know, so she could ascend to heaven. And it th- isn't here. Oh, yeah, she's crying because. Yeah. She doesn't believe her mom can go to heaven. So I guess it's a little symbolic. In this, a way, is, uh, this is where the tears started coming. Yeah, I believe it. That poor, Can we just so, talk about, before we dive into, because I got stuff to say about this moment, and I'm sure everybody does, but just to shine a light on it for a moment, her performance, like, is astonishing. Yes. Yeah, I agree. What is... um. And, and this, this has the potential to get really deep 
but like obviously this is a commentary on this whole movie has a lot to say about religion and religious institution right maybe not a specific religion or you know a condemnation either way but i mean the pain that little girl's going through is compounded by the belief system that she's been essentially boxed into right like it her grief is made heavier by the mm-hmm. teachings of, of that institution. And wh- I, what, what do you guys think that means in relation to this movie and, and where it's going? I, does anybody else want to go first? Sir. I, I, all I can say is it's just maybe a counterpoint to the next character that's introduced and in her experience, you know, growing up in a cult, you know, yeah believing certain things that have been drilled into her or brainwashed. So I don't know. I think it's just these, it's hard to put into words. So <laughs> if no, anyone, you're fine. It's a if big... anyone can clarify what I'm trying to say, please do. I think you're right. I think, I think that's a good way of looking at it. Like sh- this is a, there, there's a, in the sadness in the pain, there is, a sense of warmth in regards to, you know, each the care they have for each other and, and wanting them to navigate these waters versus the cult mentality, which is a lot colder and a lot crueler. But um, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know if Allie or J- I know Jinx, you have something, but Allie, what thoughts? <laughs> um. I don't know. Like, I'm... Like, that whole first part hurts my soul so much. It's because, like, I had a parent die at a young age, so I I know what those emotions are. And thankfully, I didn't get, like, you know, my family didn't do anything weird to me. They just loved (laughs) me. Yeah. But it's... It's a hard one. I think that's why I liked it, because I was like, I know the emotions behind this. And I only saw this because in... Holy shit, I'm not, is that the kid from It? Mm-hmm. Okay, that fucking took me forever. Okay. Um, I saw this when it was playing film festivals. Wait, did that happen with you guys? Did he get a film festival route with you? Uh, you you're talking about this like this movie? Yeah. Yeah. I Well, so that's when I saw it. I saw it at Fantastic Fest. Oh, okay. 2019. Um, and uh, I'll... I'll I'll, I could tell that story, but yeah, I saw it at the festival. It is kind of an interesting thing that happened to me because, but I'll, but I want, I don't want to get too far off the mark before letting Jinx say his piece on that, on this same topic. <laughs> Cause I know you were, you were about to say something. Do it Jinx, say it all. No, no. <laughs> uh, I'll need a deep breath. Um, I think the key to the entire movie is that little girl saying that she believes that her mom won't go to heaven because she killed herself. Yeah. I, uh, I, the dad doesn't really challenge that. It's a belief that, you know, from what little information we're given, uh, it's a belief that likely came from her mother and this girl believes it and it's devastating to her. You know, this idea has been ingrained in her at a very young age and, it ultimately traumatizes her arguably more than the mother's death itself. And I don't 
know if she makes it far past the film's end credits, but if she does, she's probably going to grow up damaged from that alone, not even talking about the events that follow, right? Now, show of hands here, I won't ask everybody if they're Christian, like, but, you know, I, I'm... I stand, you know, I've, I've mentioned on this podcast before that I am, but you know, true or false, just going around, you know, show of hands, as it were. Uh, so far as Christianity is concerned, from what you know, if you commit suicide, you go to hell. Would you say that's true or false? Uh, sadly, in the religion that I grew up in, it's very true, and I think that's incredibly selfish. Okay. Paul, how about you? Are you asking what I believe or what I think those, what do you think those Christ- types of people believe? What, <laughs> what oh, do you yeah. think? I mean, I think they're wrong. Uh, right. So, so full disclosure, and you know, right, guess, this okay, is I'm a sorry. judgment-free podcast, right? So, right, well, I guess uh, I, and, I am not well, a religious man by any regard. I I don't subscribe to really any of that type of stuff. I don't hold anybody, you know, I don't hold it against anybody that does. And I, and I, I'm very close to people that do my, my mother-in-law is a, you know, a youth pastor. So, I mean, I, I, my, one of my closest friends is a pastor. So, but I am not religious. I don't, I don't subscribe to it. Okay. So, but uh, however, as far as you understand, but as far like, as, Oh no, I have a good understanding of it. My dad, you know, I was raised in the church. I, my dad's Catholic, like, yes, they believe that someone like that would go to hell. They, they believe. Okay. A lot of people, a lot of people uh, who themselves Christian, like consider yeah. or are Christian, which is think that, okay, you commit suicide, you go to hell. Right. Yeah. Nowhere in the Bible does it teach that. There is nowhere in the Bible where you can find that it says that suicide costs anyone their salvation. It is a belief that, you know, look at there, and yet it's so completely ingrained in us. You look at something like looking at another issue, look at something like the issue of abortion here in the States. Like the Venn diagram of of pro-lifers and conservative Christians is likely a solid circle, you know, like, and this notion that if you get an abortion, that's killing a child, and that's against my religion. It's not Christian, except, you know, the, 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 the Bible itself, it says that life begins at breath, not at conception, you know, it's... And those are two ideas that some people who call themselves Christians hold on to, and they have no actual basis in the book is the cornerstone of their religion. They accept it as fact, but it was handed down to them. They likely didn't do the research themselves. And with this little girl, we witness a twisting of Christianity and the damage that it does, much as the twisting of Christianity that's evidenced in, you know, uh, Grace's, Grace's backstory, right. which surely damaged her. Like, I think there's, you know, Paul, you said, uh, this movie is very concerned with religion and religious institutions. I think it's more interested maybe in those institutions and the religion itself. Um, I, I think there's an abuse of power here and a willingness to keep young people ignorant or misinformed. And I think that probably extends in a very different way with the dad. I mean, he uses his position as, you know, Grace's therapist to manipulate her into a relationship, which is unethical to a horrific degree. Um, so I guess, like, there, there is a lot of religious iconography in this movie. That's a fact. But I, when I watch this movie, I don't find the movie to be specifically about religion as a whole, so much as religion can be wielded kind of as a weapon to manipulate or destroy well, that, that's sort of what i that's sort of what i meant though like you know i mean religion but that's because i think unfortunately as a as a as a whole that's what religion has become <laughs> for a lot of people 
Like for a lot of, you know, when, when you think about Catholicism, you think about guilt, right? <laughs> Catholic guilt. Like that it's, it is even people who subscribe to it and are a part of it. You know, everybody has a family member, especially an older family member that like wields their belief system in a negative way to hold power over the people they supposedly love. Sure. And, <laughs> and they're wrong. Right. I agree. But I'm, uh, I'm saying even within the bounds of their own religion, they are wrong. Sure. But if the religion itself has become that, then. No, but I that's who, who says that it becomes that simply because there are loads of misguided people who uh, shove themselves in under that umbrella. Like, yeah, I guess I, I just meant from the people experiencing it, that's how it's going to feel. You know, I, I guess I mean, you know, I, I I look at religion as being like, you know, religion can be a beautiful thing, too. It can um, it can. Yeah, sure. it can provide structure. It can inspire Absolutely. goodwill. It can guide people out of addiction. It can uh, uh, bring communities together. It can give meaning to people's lives, inspire art. You know, there are mental health benefits to religiosity. Uh, you know, there's research that suggests that it. Uh, like produces suicide rates, you know, alcoholism, drug use. The thing is, we we don't hear about that. We we hear about the loud assholes that a friend of mine once referred to as hypocrites. You know, people who use their Bible to beat and judge, and people who really probably only like the idea of eternal life and behaving oh so holier than thou. You know, they think being Christian means hating and judging others who sin or who are merely different. There are people who call themselves Christian who are bigots against minorities, who are homophobic, who believe in liking the wealth or liking wealthy people over, you know, the poor, you know, lining the wealthy's pockets while leaving the poor on their own. And so far as, you know, who the hell am I? But so far as I understand it, they may say they're Christian, but people like that, they're anything but. I, I The way they behave runs counter to what a Christian should be. You know, Christians are meant to love and accept and help, but we've gotten to the point in this country and I think the world over where the worst of this group, the loudest of this group has become what a lot of, you know, secular folks believe is Christian. People have accepted that these swaths of fairly terrible people are representative of the whole that they're misrepresenting. I mean, there's something like, you know, when... uh, Show of hands, who shudders here when they hear the phrase Bible Belt, right? Oh, and my for good God, reason. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> there are like 29 million Christians in the Bible Belt. Now, that's a not insignificant number. Sure. There's something like 240 million Christians in the United States. That's a lot, too, right? There's nearly two and a half billion Christians in the world. And, like, do we really... I mean, I know what this is rhetorical, but I mean, do we really want to paint them all with the same brush? I guess is ultimately what I'm asking. I no, <laughs> I don't. I don't think that's fair. That's not. I, again, I, I was just more thinking like in terms of the themes the movie was playing with. I, I don't think the movie's maybe making like some grand statement about everything. I just think it it was sort of honing in on these specific sort of emotions and like, you know, similar to Allie, I'm coming at this from a perspective that um, when I was younger, I also lost a parent and uh, you know, we were religious. So I got a lot of that stuff (laughs) when she passed. And so it was like, there was a whole lot of different people that I barely knew 
coming at me with very re- religious-y, advice things that weren't very helpful, mm-hmm. uh, that felt like it was... You, you know, people try to help in those situations, but ultimately, sometimes it feels a bit more, like, self-centered. You know, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna go do this really good thing and talk to this kid who lost a parent and be nice to them and then move on with my life, <laughs> you know, and never see them again. And that's, and so you grow to kind of resent all of it, you know, whether that's right, wrong or indifferent. Um, but, you know, obviously years later, I'm, I'm past a lot of that. But when I watch this movie and I see, you know, the kids and they, they don't show a lot of the aftermath of that. They, they really, to me, it just kind of focuses in on how their father doesn't, you know, really doesn't spend a lot of time with them and just keeps forcing them to, to have a relationship with this new woman, like what months, weeks after their mother died, a, a horrific death mind you <laughs> in oh, their home god yeah. knows who found her um they don't really show you that and it's just i think it's indicative of of a a grander sort of like you said control slash problem with this guy and and how he's sort of using using their sort of belief system and uh Riley Keough's belief system against them to manipulate them and force them to be submissive to him as, as the patriarch of the family. Um, it's heavy stuff. I apologize. <laughs> no, no. I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that's this movie. I mean, My this man. is, this is what this talk was always going to be, I think. Um, yeah. I mean, it, I remember messaging you all. I uh, was it last night or the night before about this movie and like, do you all and Phil, I pose this to you too. Do you think the movie, and I mean, we can setting aside anything thematically. I mean, as far as like living, breathing beings within the bounds of the story, does anyone here think that this movie has a central villain? Is there a central threat? Like who you would call the heavy in this movie? And if so, I'd be very curious. Childhood trauma. That's the villain. Yeah, that's a good point because there, there's nothing really personified here. I, because it's, it seems to be guiding you one way. Like in the early stages of this film, if we're going to go with the thought that maybe the mother is lingering on this plane. And once they get to the lodge, you know, you see the door doing weird things and you see things going missing. And and I'm like, oh, okay, this is a ghost story. The mother's hanging around and is imposing her will on these characters, etc. But then the movie takes a turn and it's not that. And you kind of leave the viewer with having to guess thematically what these filmmakers were trying to achieve. And I would agree, yes. Maybe it's childhood trauma that they're... Um, speaking to here i think it has many themes it's really hard to pinpoint do you find it a bit and i'm not saying this is a bad thing in fact um 
when I was a kid growing up, I remember reading a, uh, a compilation of Clive Barker interviews called Shadows in Eden. And one of the things he talked about uh, was kind of his exasperation at one of his plays being adapted when the director wanted to hone in on like a central theme. And he was like, well, I was juggling a lot of things here. He's like, see, see, you know, see how many plates you can spin at once, man, you know? And um, so, yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that, like with the lodge, I'm wondering if you all find it a little messy thematically or not, or if you do like, do you, do you find that to be a negative? Because it is a little, you know, we think of some movies as being a little bit of a shaggy dog, like so far as like the plot goes, I'm wondering if the same can be true of wrestling with themes. That's a good question. Um, yeah. yeah, I, you're right. I think, I think there is a lot going on. Um, and, Ali, I totally agree. I think trauma, childhood trauma is definitely trauma, grief, whatever you want to call it, is the monster here. Um, and it's a weird movie because where your empathy, your empathy gets distributed across a couple different characters, I feel like. And then it alters, obviously, when when the reveal occurs later and you're like, oh, <laughs> you know, those little those little shits <laughs> have done something terrible. And yet at the beginning of the film, you feel so bad for them. Um, and granted they're children, but what, what they concoct is obviously real fucked up on a crazy level. But, but if anyone's a villain in my eyes, it's the father. You mean the guy who just held his hand over his, his lover's mouth? Yeah, he's like, I do not want to hear your laughter, woman. He like he is he is to me just the worst. <laughs> I don't I just don't understand uh what's his name? Richard? Right? Yeah. It's Richard. I, he's he's Red Dragon from Hannibal, so he he comes into this movie with like some bastard baggage with him. Like it's he didn't have to do a lot of work to make me dislike him right off the bat. I mean, for God's sakes, he's dating a woman that he studied, that he wrote a book about yeah, because she gross. was. Yeah, that's absolutely gross. Super and then gross. to force his children to be alone with her because he doesn't want to take off work at Christmas time, <laughs> you know, and when he knows they resent her and he knows that she is teetering on the edge uh, emotionally based on the various traumas that she's not fully over yet. For God's sakes, he wrote the book on it. He should know. Um, yeah, to me, it, it's this is a story of a guy who sort of reaps what he sows. It's just unfortunate how many others are caught in the crosshairs of it. Yeah. And I will say, like, this is the, the reason I was mentioning, if you all, you know, find that there's like a central villain. I find my sympathy shifting throughout the course of the movie, even with him early on, like that initial scene in the kitchen, like he seems like a reasonable guy. We don't know that much about him yet. It seems like, you know, he, he's trying to move on with his life and it's, it's an uncomfortable situation. Maybe he's trying to do best by his kids here and, you know, just being forthright. And, like, and then the more you learn about him, it's like, okay, no, he's not a great guy at all. He's in fact quite terrible, but the kids, you know, the kids are so sympathetic. And then the movie goes on and it's like, oh, my God, they're they're doing something horrible, you know. And then Grace, like we feel so much for Grace 
And yet, ultimately, she becomes a huge threat in the movie. And I think that's a really interesting sort of juggling act that the movie does with its characters and in a really sort of deft way. You never feel those gears shift while you're watching the movie. But, you know, only in reflection, I think, do you realize that that's what was happening. And I, I, I think that's kind of fascinating in a way, how they pulled that off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Allie, you said you saw this on the festival circuit, right? Yes. I don't, um, I don't remember what festival. Okay. Or if was, it, it may oh, have sorry, also sorry. been a situation where like I lived with a bunch of programmers and <laughs> they have just nice. been watching it. And I was like, well, I already live here. What are you going to do? Kick me out of my own living room. <laughs> what, uh, did you, did you know it was a hammer movie when you saw it? No, it wasn't until we started doing the podcast. You guys were like, Oh, the lodge. And I'm like, the lodge isn't hammer. You guys are wrong. At least he has Silverstone's in that. <laughs> Yeah, because today. Yeah, I, I I had no idea until the hammer logo like showed up. I was like, oh, this is hammer. Um, what what was your like initial reaction to it? Like when you first saw it, like did it land with you? Did you kind of keep it at arm's length? Or... Like yeah, I, I I enjoyed this this whole scene where she falls through the ice. I'm like, bitch, if you lived in Canada, you would know how to get out of that situation. <laughs> That's a rite of passage falling through the ice here. No, but I, I liked it. And I know that the programmers who watched it with me also enjoyed it. And I think that's why I got some extra play for the, you know, lower end film festivals that I know. <laughs> yeah. I guess we're mentioning Hammer. Can I ask, Phil, would you count yourself a Hammer fan? Are you familiar with their movies? Like, are... are have you have you taken in like some of the old Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing films or no? Like what is what is your experience with Hammer overall? You know, I'd have to say I'm a casual fan. I'm not that enlightened about their catalog, but I know the ones I gravitate toward. And you can probably pinpoint which productions I'm talking about. But I love the ones that are very vibrant in color. I think there's one. Oh my gosh, I'll probably mess up the title, but is it The Brides of Dracula that I believe? That mm-hmm. is yeah. one of the best. Yes. It's my favorite. Absolutely. Again, I uh, I revisited that one recently, and I just love the rich colors and just... You, knew, you know it's a Hammer film from a certain era, and I think that's probably what we might be struggling with here is... You know, what makes this trademark hammer in that you can argue the woman in black is very resplendent of what you would expect of a hammer movie. And then you have this and it's almost like they had a movie and they had to slap um, Mm a studio's name on it. I don't know. I just I don't know that I don't understand the genesis of this film. You know, it's curious. It's funny that you mentioned that it was something I was going to ask you all. And this will lead into it, I think, kind of perfectly. But we we've been doing new hammer for what is it five six films now Allie, paul um six? and early on there was you know there were some movies that they didn't necessarily like fully develop and like when you watch this movie it feels like it is so completely different from what you expect from hammer it almost feels like a movie that they only elected to distribute you know like maybe the movie was already made they swooped in they hadn't released anything in my goodness, I think by this point, like six years. 
it's it's been over half a decade since their last film, which was The Woman of Black to the Angel of Death. You know, they I they guess. were dormant again for a good long while, and then they came back with this movie, and it almost at a glance feels like it's something that they acquired after the fact. But that's not true. They actually acquired a script. Um and yeah, they developed to they the, developed uh, this one. Yes, and they offered it to the uh, the Goodnight Mommy duo, who apparently heavily rewrote it, and then you know the resulting movie is what we got. I would be very curious to know if that original screenplay was maybe more in line with what we expect from Hammer, even New Hammer. But I guess going around, and Phil, we'll start with you. Like you know, you mentioned it, and Ali, Paul, I'm very curious to see your thoughts too. Like. Yes, it's a Hammer movie in that they 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 released it, they developed it, they put it out. Sure, their names on it. <laughs> but is it a Hammer movie in any way that you can think of? I think the the scenic views are very Hammer. Although I don't really see a lot of snow in Hammer films, that's kind of a nice change. But like the isolation, the scenery playing like a huge part, the location playing a big part, and this Chevy or this station wagon s type car is similar to the wagons that they had in the other ones so i'm gonna draw <laughs> some very broad strokes here and say <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm on board i'm yeah. listening to all of this like okay all right i if i could add and again this i don't think it relates to your question jinx but i see a lot of influences from other horror films like just you mentioned isolation. I think it was you, Ali. I don't recall, but um, it's reflected very much of The Shining. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I get that. And a family kind of trapped uh, and unable to escape. Uh, in this case, a, a lodge, and in that case, a hotel. But it feels very much like The Shining at times. You're right. Yeah. The uh and the dog's name is uh what, Grady? Yeah, and I wonder if it's that was shining ish. <laughs> that was I wondered if that was intentional to name the dog after a character from the from that mythos, from that film. Yeah, and it and some of the supernatural stuff is reminiscent of Hammer a bit, or certainly of Woman in Black. Um, when I mean, obviously there is no supernatural stuff. Sorry, people are watching this. I assume they've seen the movie or they know it's going to get spoiled. Um, and even though the supernatural stuff turns out to be a fabrication, it's still legitimately done that way while it's happening. You know what I mean? It's still handled the same way as if it were real filmically. So it may as well be real. And certainly it's real to, you know, grace and so therefore you know who's to say it's not real um i i to me to me this is hammer experimenting with the auteur approach that's what i think this is i think hammer was kind of like well we've been trying these other things to mix success let's get uh you know a big director or i suppose directing team uh, who has a very distinctive visual and storytelling style and let them do their own thing uh, and and see if that brings us some success. Uh, because from everything I read, this movie, you know, you're right, Jinx, it was acqu- the script was acquired, uh, 
And then the the director Veronica and Severin like totally rewrote it. And like, by the way, the original ending was not the ending we got. Like the original script's ending was like a totally different thing. It was it was not a twist. The kid like it was supernatural. It was a supernatural thing. So by making it human, that's a huge change. <laughs> Uh, and completely recontextualizes like everything happening in the movie. Um, and like the original movie, the question was more like, is it her cult dad that's haunting them or the dead mom? That was sort of the thing. It was like, which one of them is, or is it both? You know, that kind of thing. And instead we get what we got, which is kind of more fascinating but like the fact that hammer was willing to allow them to do that makes me think that it was just hey you know do do your thing and we'll support it given the treatment of religion in this movie um what do you think terrence fisher would have made of it would he have wanted to play chicken with the uh, <laughs> with veronica and severin <laughs> do you think like, would have uh, broke his leg uh <laughs> They would have been in a car, that station wagon. He would have been, uh, you know, just shuffling his feet like a bull, getting ready to charge. And, uh, and Terrence Fisher with this movie, I don't. It would be a very different movie. <laughs> the the father would have. I don't know. I feel like in a Terrence Fisher thing, it would have been much more. The cult is bad. Uh, the church is good, and that's the salvation this woman could potentially have. And if she doesn't achieve it, it's because she didn't accept that would sort of probably be what would have happened in my eyes. Yeah, I can see that. Um, uh, which, you know, this, I, there's probably no better time now that we mentioned Terrence Fisher to, uh, to go ahead and dive into our new hammer staple. And, uh, Let's go ahead and cast this up with classic Hammer actors. Who wants to go? Jeez. <laughs> as long as... Can I start us out with one person, though? Yeah. In two faces of Dr. Jekyll mode, like, Christopher Lee has to be the dad, right? Hmm. I yeah, I guess. He feels a bit... Like young Christopher Lee? Young, yeah. Like two faces of Dr. Jekyll, like smarmy, charming, complete cad. So. Okay, yeah, I can see a young Christopher Lee. I, the the <laughs> hardest thing for this one is Grace. I think Grace is really hard to cast. An old hammer style. That's a tough one. Yeah, that's what I'm really struggling with. I mean, Barbara Shelley would be the mother, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yes, yes, yes. A thousand times yes. <laughs> so, early 60s, Hammer Starlet. What about, uh, I don't know, what about uh, Eve Monlaw from Brides of Dracula? Uh, she has kind of that fragile thing, but I could also see her being threatening, possibly. That could work. That could work. I. The problem is there's a lot of actresses that I could see doing it, but they're a little bit too... Like you said, there needs to be 
like a good balance between fragility and and strength right because yeah. the and the fragility that's there isn't really like was sort of imposed upon her you know because by the end of the movie we see her like the the raw power of grace's character you know and it's almost like that's what's been suppressed is her her immense strength uh to withstand the kind of shit that she's had to withstand and you know when i think about actor performers from that time period that that were able to balance duality that well there's 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 only a couple and obviously shelly we can't cast shelly as every character <laughs> and she she isn't designed can't we a, i no. know i know but what about like a carolyn monroe okay i i thought about monroe monroe she looks like her. Looks the part. Looks like her, which is crazy. I worry. I don't know that she, because she's a little bit just inherent. I, I, I've not seen her do. She's just so, she has like a sultry sort she's of She's never presented the range in any of the performances we've seen that would. But I Grace. wouldn't be against like, it. Like, I, I, I hear, because I actually thought about Monroe as well. You're right. Like, that's a good, that's a good pick. Um, sorry, Phil. We should have like let you know we do this. <laughs> it's we, okay. We, we no. cast the it's, new ones yeah. with old hammer. Performers, the, so the only other one I could think of was what's her butt, um, Madeline Smith, maybe. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, I could see her. Sure, that could work. Or you know, if we're going very, you know, if okay, so Christopher Lee, early sixties. <laughs> Uh, Barbara Shelley, like, let's say early 60s. Then what about, um, I know this would have been before her actual time with Hammer, but um, eh, I don't know. I don't know if I want to say this because I don't know if it's a good idea. Okay, I'll go ahead and say it. Just say it. Ingrid Just Pitt. Say it. I was thinking Ingrid Pitt yeah. as well. <clears throat> Because we didn't see her until, you know, Vampire Lovers and Countess Dracula, and that was already, like, early 70s. But if we go back a decade, she would have been, I think, young enough to play Grace. And I also think, as an actor, she could cover that range. Like, she could could do both. I'm in. Yeah, I'm down. I'm down with that. And Ralph Bates plays the kids. Ralph Bates plays every single character <laughs> at like a 40 year old Ralph Bates. <laughs> I think it's so hard to imagine this movie back in the day being cast with all those characters, because unlike all the previous new hammer movies, you know, this one doesn't feel like it ever could have existed back then alongside all those films, every other new hammer, like the woman in black and its sequel or the quiet ones, or, you know, uh, the resident, you know, being a mini Hitchcock, like all of the films we've done through new hammer, you could imagine early Hammer versions of those. You could imagine like them being remakes of movies that actually existed in the 60s and 70s, but not this one. Well, maybe, and maybe there's something to that. Like this was the movie that was their attempt to step into a new age of horror. Cause, and, and I'm going to say something that I already hate that I'm going to say it, but like, Okay, we live in a world where people label things as the dreaded, quote unquote, elevated horror, right? Ooh, Twitter, are you this? 
this fits that fake category right it does it's like it, it's it, i mentioned hereditary earlier it it fits that sort of new wave of quiet contemplative deeply emotional fucked up <laughs> horror that also plays like a you know weird twisted family drama that that people like to pretend is something more than a horror movie this seems like hammer's attempt to enter that fray at a time when that sort of movie was becoming very popular on a wide scale it it could possibly be i just wanted again i I, when i watch it all i can think of is the possible influences from other motion pictures and when we get to this point with a mother and two children isolated again it reminds me so much of the others as well and again i don't know if that was intentional but that's very gothic that could fit in the um hammer canon definitely so it kind of feels like that movie to a degree too. I don't, that is a great call. I mean, usually when you know we talk about movies that fell between you know like the the dormant period of Hammer, you know, like what could have been a Hammer movie but wasn't. You know, I I think we've mentioned Fright Night, of course, Sleepy Hollow. But you're right, The Others is totally a Hammer flick. Oh my God, yeah. yeah. Why did you ever think of that before? That's the most obvious. Yeah, the Others is yeah. Well, and and part of it is The Others is um. Uh, really reminiscent of The Innocence, right? Because it's sort of a takeoff of that movie, which The Innocence, at the time it was made, was very much an answer to what Hammer was doing. Um, so, I mean, it, there there is a through line kind of between those things, uh, and all the way down to the fact that uh, Freddie Francis shot The Innocence. And he would go on to become a really prominent director for Hammer. Uh, so Frankenstein is amazing. Yeah. It is. Um, I but, love that we're seeing the thing here. <laughs> uh, not, I don't love it as much as the fact that we eventually see Jack Frost. <laughs> <laughs> well, first I was just like, it's just just a random movie that's meant to you know, compound, like, how cold they are in the setting. Like, I mean, they're showing one of the coldest movies ever made. You watch the thing and you shiver. But I also think there's something to be said about the fact that they're watching a movie about evil monsters hiding under placid surfaces that appear human, but, you know, but underneath. What's underneath? In these kids' cases, uh, a whole lot of bad, even though... I'll go ahead and say one thing as far as those kids go. What they do is horrible, like full stop, absolutely 100%. Like, I'm not defending them. But I think there is a version of this story that if it did want to be judgmental and if it did want to pick sides, there's a version of this story that you could tell from the kid's point of view where it would be a dark movie and it would still be objectionable what they do, but they would be very much our protagonists, you know? Like it from their point of view, they're the wronged party. Like I, I think there are enough hints given that 
there was an infidelity, you know, that the marriage broke up. And then what did that ultimately lead to? But their mother killing herself. So I can see, like, from their point of view, this would almost be like a revenge flick. You know what I mean? I'm still saying it's horrible. But <laughs> I, I feel like the silence is judging. I love, I love your defense. <laughs> but, no, no, but can you not see that? That, like, at least from their point of view, like, they are... I, I sympathize with them in the way that I sympathize with other characters and other stories that do terrible things, but from a very human place. They're not evil for evil's sake. Like there are people who are hurting and they take measures to uh, address a wrong, you know, but they're only seeing it from the the point of view of their own pain, as opposed to like, you know, we're, we get the benefit of viewing this all, you know, omnipotently, and we can say, like, kids, what you're doing is pretty fucked up. Like, you don't know where she comes from, what her backstory is, the pain that she's gone through. You don't know how she was manipulated by the guy in the first place and how she's a victim here, too. And you should probably lay the fuck off. I think for me, the problem is that I none of this is Grace's fault, right? Like, so no. Grace did nothing wrong. She's she's a victim as well, and across the board. Now, granted, it it fluctuates, and and the gas like she's being gas like the gaslighting that's happening to her is on an epic scale. <laughs> yeah, um, from multiple sources, <laughs> right? And I, so, for the Aiden and Mia sort of plotline of tricking her and it's not just trick it'd be one thing if they just played a prank or did something but they like they like push it so far and like i guess kill her dog or let her dog out i that that part i'm still a little confused on because i'm like would they like i don't know but like the level to which they push her is I, it, by the end of the movie, I have no sympathy for them at all. Like, I, I get, I, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but like, by the end of the movie, I'm kind of like, they deserve this. <laughs> I don't know. It's weird. It's a weird experience. Um, is there a version of the movie where I could maybe feel differently? Probably, but Grace would have to be a different character, uh, or they would have to not push it as far, I guess. But I don't know how Allie and Phil feel about that. And we may never. <laughs> the world Sorry, I was peeing never. again. <laughs> ah, hilarious. Hilarious. <laughs> Phil, what are your thoughts on, uh, on all that? <laughs> well, I, I think you're right. The kids are very manipulative and perhaps took this too far. I am... Um, I don't know. I guess I guess what I struggle with is would they even be capable of this, the two of them? Because there's some things that happen that um, I'm like, I don't know if two young children could pull this off. You know, I guess I was I had struggles with the, <laughs> the logic, the logic in this movie. Could sure. the children of a manipulative shrink. That's what I was thinking. Well, like, you're right, because I think that goes back to the theme here. I think everyone in this movie has played a card 
And like I even as far back as the mother, you know, they've all done something to hurt somebody else. And you can say that of the father, you can say that of the mother, and now you can say that of the children. And I think you're right, Paul. I think uh, Grace is the only one who comes out <laughs> as not being, you know, a mastermind behind anything. And it's interesting that she's named Grace. I don't know. I think she was she's she's the victim in all of this. It's like the reverse Saint Maud. Okay. It's like Saint Maud in reverse. <laughs> yeah, but as far as yeah. like, yeah, I mean the kids go. I mean, the one thing that we keep saying is like kids, kids, kids. And the fact is they are children. You know, they are very, very young, and they have been raised by a guy who has shuffled them off one place in the next and God knows what it was like living with that guy, you know, given, I mean, look what he was willing to do to secure, you know, grace as, uh, as his girlfriend, you know? Uh, but also on top of that, you know, these kids are open wounds right now and they want to lash out at somebody. And now they've put, been put inside of a pressure cooker with the person that they probably view as being responsible for their mother's death. Oh, they do. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not that. saying they're right about that, but I'm saying yeah. like, it, just to step inside of their shoes for a moment and that mindset and keep in mind that you're, you would be that young, you know, from their point of view, they are completely justified. And I and think, I think that's what's sad too. And what makes them sympathetic is they just don't fucking know any better. Like they I, don't know how to handle uh, the pain that they've been given. And so you know, they lash out at somebody that they think is the villain, but they're not smart enough to see they're not old enough or mature enough to see that she's a victim, too. I think and so. I, so I do still keep sympathy for them, even even until the final frame, no matter how much fucked up stuff they do. Which they do do, and they are a victim of their consequence or their circumstances. But. I think the argument could be that the older kid, like that boy, he's kind of old enough to know what the fuck he's doing. The little girl could go either way. It depends yeah. on what we, because we only saw a snippet of their childhood before their mom died. So, like, what was their life prior to all of that? I wonder how old he is meant to be in this film. I assume, like, 14, 15? That That's what I would have thought. That kid's a little serial killer. I don't. I don't know, man. Yeah, the shit he pulls, like, and that's, that's my thing. The oh. one who I don't have sympathy for the girl. I'm like, no, she's yeah, Mia. Yeah, I feel. I okay. I agree that I feel a little bit. I feel sympathy for Mia because I think Mia's just going along with what Aiden's telling her to do. Like when they find that when when uh, Grace finds the dog, right, and the dog is dead. Mia like is so heartbroken about it. Because Mia understands that her and Aiden killed that dog. They let the dog out and, and that signed its death warrant. And Mia feels very guilty about that. And I think that guilt is real. I don't think that's fabricated. Aiden, like, faking his hanging and all that shit. Like, the all the weird things that Aiden does. And the fact that Aiden let that dog out, like, I could believe that Mia may not, at, at her age, may not recognize that letting a dog out into the cold would automatically kill it. Aiden knew that. You know, Aiden, I think there are things about Aiden that are very questionable in terms of 
who he might grow up to become. <laughs> uh, and granted, you know, yeah, they're kids. Yeah, they've been through horrible things. But as an objective viewer, and you see these things play out, what they put Grace through is like ju- is maybe worse. Like I don't know. Like they 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 punish Grace in a way that is so far beyond anything that any person should have to go through who's already gone through hell. You know, Grace has already lived through hell and survived and made it out. And now, you know, she's convinced that she's dead. So even in the end, like the horrible things she's doing aren't even really like, she doesn't think she's doing this to living kids. She thinks she's helping them because she thinks now all the crazy bullshit, the cult espoused is actually true. (laughs) And she has to help them by using what she learned in the cult. She's trying to aid these kids who, you know, were nothing but unkind to her speaking to the actual like strength of her character, which is like a real fucked up, crazy way of of bringing this relationship about and again for me it's it's hard to not look at i mean and again yeah do i feel bad that like these two kids lost both their parents and are now probably going to die sure but from a movie standpoint i'm kind of like well this is the logical conclusion to the actions you took (laughs) so what you're saying is is that christine brown deserved to get dragged to hell is not what I said. How that dare dirt, that's a dirty lie. That that's old bitch make her payment. Phil bag me up on this. That's what I heard. I don't know. I, <laughs> uh I love Drag Me to Hell. I that's too. probably a whole nother episode. Drag Me to Hell is great. Uh Phil, do you think Christine deserved <laughs> to be dragged to hell at the end? That's the I don't question. think I want to enter this argument. <laughs> <laughs> that's really me. smart. Uh, I think you and I agree on a lot of things, Paul, but I don't know if we should. <laughs> oh, no, I come don't. On, well, come on, back me up. I don't come think on, I need been, somebody but, on my side. But that's fine. No, we're, I've been so alone. I I, I have to rewatch it. So, But when you do that episode, I'd be, I'll, 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 I'll <laughs> gladly come on. Well, can I ask, okay, going back to the kids for a second, I wonder, do you think what do you think their end game was? Because to me, I think, again, this goes to their youth. I don't think that they ever thought that they were doing something that was irreversible. I think they were going to get her to freak the fuck out. And then they were going to say, ha ha, got you. Fuck you for killing our mom. And then, you know, maybe that would break up the relationship and she would get sent packing. Right. Like she would get the fuck away from them. she'd race away. Um, she, you know, they Ichabod crane the fuck out of her, and then she's out of their lives. They in no way expected her to crack no. the way she did, or, I mean, obviously they didn't expect her to turn violent and put them in peril, but I mean, even as far as, like, I don't think they expected her to have a nervous breakdown. Um, and so, like, I... Were they wrong? Yeah, but again, I think that goes to their immaturity where they couldn't see what possible consequence was coming around the corner. I guess. I, I guess, but that. I think the boy knew. Like, I think that little piece of shit knew what he was... I think if the guy, if, like, if the older son hadn't been around to manipulate the younger sister as well, the younger sister might have just been 
sad and recluse. Well, yeah, she was not gonna mastermind jack shit. Like she's the thing. thing. It's all Aiden. because he trusts her brother. Yeah, but I but like taking your medication, like like her antipsychotics or whatever the fuck. Like that's I mean. Yeah, it, it's just, it's hard to watch. And again, we're talking about a character who has done nothing wrong at her. She has not transgressed in the slightest. Um, And it's, it'd be one thing if, I don't know, if they... It, do you think, do you, uh, they don't tell us. But she does have that moment on the staircase with, uh, I keep calling him the dad because I refuse to learn his name. Um... Where she talks about Richard. <laughs> I'm gonna call him Dick. The name. His, uh, you can call him Dick. <laughs> yeah. So so when Dick's coming up the stairs, um, she's got the gun on him, and she says something like, you know, uh, uh, this is for what we did. Now, do I think she was manipulated? Yes, absolutely. Do I think he was in a position of power and he used that? Yes, absolutely. Yep. Uh, but if we're gonna wipe her slate completely clean i think we have to contend with the fact that she likely knew she was going to be breaking up a marriage i like the and thing the, that and the, the marriage fallout, is already uh, maybe rocks, okay but i then you know tell well, we don't know you're right we don't know so we don't you know, know. but yeah, i mean the 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 fallout of that forget about the mother killing herself the fallout of that is still you know it equals an amount of pain wrought upon you know, those children. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think that this is a woman who was in a cult, was in a horrible situation, probably felt unlovable only to find a kind man who was interested in her and telling her all the things that made her feel better and was also her fucking therapist presumably oh and i'm sure you know guys uh, like that i'm so certain he was like i wrong. don't want my wife anymore we're separated i'm going to leave yeah. her any day and now. everything yeah. he told her was probably like in service of making her feel comforted that you know anything that that they did as a couple was unrelated to his exp- you know blah, blah 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 even if it wasn't true uh and again one of the reasons i feel like he's the he's the actual sort of like villain if you're if you're gonna pin it on a person um but okay was that a hallucination or did one of those little fuckers get out there and just snow angel the hell out of the uh i i almost wouldn't wouldn't put it past them i i did have that question too jinx is because i i think she goes back and forth between this dream state and you're right i don't know if this is real or if the kids did it but Good question. Also, so, it's at about this point of the movie where, and here's the thing. I, I do like the movie, but it's funny. Phil, I'll clue you in. Like last week, we uh, we did an episode on the woman in black to the angel of death. And Allie and Paul differed for me in that they, while they liked the movie, uh, they felt that it dragged a bit. That the midsection was, you know, a, a, a bit slow, or, as it were. And I got to tell you, like, as much as I like the lodge and I do like the lodge. You could trim out about 10 minutes or so and help the movie out immensely, because pacing wise, it is a little bit of a slog here and there. Well, agreed. I 
it's been so long since I saw the sequel to The Woman in Black, but I did I do recall feeling it was long. And to be honest, the first time I watched this movie, I turned it off about halfway through because I couldn't the pacing is just so slow. Which I hate that I do that sometimes because you rob yourself of the totality of an experience and it turned turned out to be a very different movie after it was all said and done when I watched it again yesterday through to the very end. Um, but I have the worst attention span of anybody. <laughs> and so I struggled with this one quite a bit. And, and I think I find myself as kind of a a viewer who's devoured all kinds of plot lines etc i couldn't help but say okay well i know where this is going now oh wait all oh, this is what they're doing i couldn't allow myself to just relax and not have to interpret it and connect the dots because ultimately this is a movie that's hard to categorize and uh, it's hard to put into um words what it is and I guess for that reason, you could uh, say, I don't know how to describe this, but it's it's very unique. It's just something that's very unique that is a piece of cinema that perhaps you don't have to enjoy, but it helps create thought and inspires you to think more. Sure. But other than that, I was terribly bored, if you want my honest. <laughs> well, you know, it's just, we've gotten to this point in the movie, we've already been through so much, it feels like, you know, Grace is kind of nearing the end of uh, her rope. And, like, I just did a quick check, there's about another 40 minutes of the film left. Oof, really? Yeah. So, Ellie, did you find it, like, for lack of a better word, like boring at times, similar to Woman in Black 2, or did you feel like it wasn't in that same camp? I'm curious, because I have a thought too, but I, I want to hear yours first. I like it. I like a good slow burn that's more character-driven and doesn't need a lot of like words, and it's very atmospheric. Uh, but I do agree that they could have cut some time off this. This movie did not need to be like almost two hours. It could have been a nice short-ass movie, and it would have gotten the same thing across. Yeah, I'm kind of in that camp. I, I think, you know, you and Jenks and uh, Phil, I, I agree. Like, you could probably trim 10 to 15 minutes yeah. and have roughly the same movie, and it would it would flow better. Having said that, and this is weird, because I'm the guy who one week ago, no, five days ago, as we decided, uh, said that Woman in Black 2 dragged and got boring, I'm never, for me, I'm never bored in this movie. Now, granted, I, I am someone, I'm weird. Like, I generally can handle a slow burn, or as I like to call it, deliberately paced. Mm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we have elevated explanation. Right, right, of course. Uh, the fancy way of saying slow. Uh, but it's, I don't know. I feel like the stuff where she's wandering the house works really well for me. Uh, because it's it's the way it's shot. It's it's really creepy. I love how he uses music. Uh, the way they use that "Nearer My God to Thee" song really just engages me. Um, 
I I was really into Grace's psychology. So I think they did such a good job. Riley Keough is is amazing in this movie, I think. I mean, we we we've talked about her, but I don't know if we've just flat out said like her performance is phenomenal. It is. And I stay with that character for a long time. Exactly. So even when nothing's happening, I'm interested in her journey. Uh, so I was okay spending extra time sort of wandering around and having hallucinations in this circumstance. But I think it was primarily because of her performance. I don't know, like maybe a different performer in that role. Like if they hadn't have landed it as well, I would have noticed uh, how how maybe unnecessary certain things were. Because I wouldn't sit here and claim it's all completely needed for the climax to arrive. But but I, I didn't get bored. I didn't. Not in the same way that I did with uh, Woman in Black 2. Which is great. It's a good movie. <laughs> I liked it. Okay, now uh, is that house like? Is it meant to be a real? cross, or does it look like it just really wants to give her a hug? Do you think it's real? That's my question. Like, is it there? No. That's interesting that you mention it resembles a cross because there's a lot of iconography a lot of crosses throughout this film and i didn't pick up on that when i watched it yesterday yeah yeah i, and I like puzzle seeing her father in there yeah i mean there's that and i i kind of puzzle over i i feel like it, you know it's a moment that feels like it must mean something but i'll 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 be honest and admit i i haven't quite figured out what it means for me but the idea that she can't get into that house, like she's beating on well, the outside of it. She's so, trying her best to get in, but. Don't you think that's salvation? That's, that's sort of like she's in limbo and can't get into heaven. Like that's where but, her father is. That's what the cult was saying. Hey, come with us. And she didn't go. And now she's stuck. I guess. But even at this area. point, does she consider her father as somebody who actually achieves salvation? Like, does she, like, do you think, think at this point in the movie that she's already sort of fully made that leap? Well, I think it's her subconscious. I don't think she has consciously, but I think that that's meant to sort of suggest she's getting there because she's starting to buy into this narrative. And did you know that uh, that was played by her real life father? Yeah. Danny. Yeah. I, did, I didn't know that <laughs> until uh, reading it up on this. Yeah, there was, like, a thing in Amazon Prime. They give you, like, more details. It was, like, did you know that that's her real-life father? And I was, like, I, do I know who that is? And I'm, like, oh, he was married to, like, Lisa Marie. And also, her mom and stepfather, or stepfather founded a private Scientology academy. So she also grew up in a cult. <laughs> wow. Wild. I, I will say, that. she is amazing in this movie. Her career has been pretty damn fantastic so far. Like my goodness, the range, like she, she was in, I don't know, uh, Paul, Allie, Phil, did you ever see kiss of the damned? Oh yeah. The, the, I really dig that movie. Um, she was in that early in her career. She was in Mad Max Fury road. She was in, uh, honey, which was really good. Yeah. And, uh, Logan lucky, which is a lot of fun. She She's was good in, in uh, Logan lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Under the silver Lake. Uh, I mean the lodge, of course she was, excellent in uh the devil all the time uh and she was incredible like absolutely vanished into the role in uh zola 
which is I didn't see the Zola. Zola is she... so good. I need to see Zola. It's She's amazing. Based off of like a Twitter thread. A Twitter thread? Yeah, I've read that. There's like two Twitter thread movies. There's several Twitter thread movies, which kind of blows my mind. On Twitter, gotta get that fame. <laughs> I, yeah, you do. Um, yeah, this was a movie that like I had no idea what I was walking into. Um, and like at Fantastic Fest, you know, you you sign up for the movies you want to see the night before, and then they assign you movies, so you don't know that you're gonna get what you actually want, right? And you can't always choose the order or who you're going to be able to see it with. You just kind of get with your friends. You're like, okay, let's try to see these and you make your list and just kind of cross your fingers. So I got my list for one day and I had put the lodge on there, not even knowing it was hammer, just like thinking it sounded good and hearing good things. And it was probably the middle of the festival and uh, every screening up until this, I had had at least one or two people that I was friends with that I could go in, like, sit with and hang out with and sort of see the movie with. And this was the very first one where I didn't know anybody in the screening. Like, I had to go see it alone. <laughs> and, of course, it's like this deep, dire, terrifying, upsetting one. And so, like, I, I go in and sit down and just, like, all by myself in this theater with all these other people I don't know. And we experience this movie together. Like... And generally in the festival, most things were a good time, you know, kind of a rollicking experience to see with an audience. And then this movie was just like dead silence. You know, you know what I mean? It's like two hours of just nobody making a sound, except you can hear people like sniffling and reacting to things. And then you kind of get up and walk out in a trance. And it was it was really interesting to see a movie like this in a packed theater of people who were there to watch a movie. You know, nowadays when you see things in theaters, people are on their cell phones, they're not fully engaged, they laugh inappropriately. It's hard to really get to see a very serious horror film with a crowd that is there for it. And, you know, I got that experience with this movie. And I got to say, walking out of it, I was immediately like, oh, amazing movie, one of the best. I I was fully into this film. And I truly believe it was because of that sort of experience like seeing it with a shared group of people that respected it in that way um and i i I kind of i feel bad that i didn't get to see other more serious slower horror films with groups like that because i i I do think it lends to you know the level of uh, the impact of the scares and the emotion and stuff like that you know what i mean I'm just okay. So for your Fantastic Fest experience, is that because you had a press pass? Uh, yeah, I I was press. Yeah. Okay, I was gonna be like, man, if I went to Fantastic Fest and they were like, we'll see what you get to see, I'd be like, I'm not paying for a ticket. <laughs> well, that's. I mean, even even like regular pass. I I I got to go see like I could go to the morning screenings and stuff like that, but like I got priority because of that. But like even like regular goers like you sort of you rank what you want to see and it it's sort of like they assign you something because like uh, i had friends that we were there with that like didn't have press and they were basically doing the same thing oh that would draw i like need to plan out every when i go to a film festival like these are each films i'm going to see every single day yeah and some things played more than once 
too. So like by the end of the, if you stay the full like week, cause you can do like a half week or the full week. If you do the full week, you can generally get to most everything with the exceptions of uh, the secret screenings are a little bit tougher and they only play like once. But if you have press, you can go the next morning at like 8 a.m. and just see whatever it was. I'd be down with that. Okay, never mind. I changed my mind. That's fine. <laughs> I'm not going to shit on Fantastic Fest. It, I, I had a really good time. I'd, I'd like to go back. Um, I'm going to tr- maybe try to go this year. It's just hard for me because, yeah, the whole, like, job and family yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard yeah. to cover a film festival, but I would love to do it. It was a really good time. Because film festivals are great, and seeing movies like this with an audience that, like, knows what they're signing up for. Even yeah. you, kind of, like, you never do, but it's not like you're going to, like, a mainstream film where it's a bunch of, like, non-horror buffs being like, I don't understand a Cronenberg film. Like, it's well, nice. I saw um, Hereditary at an AMC, and, like, let me tell you, every 20 minutes, there are, like, teenagers laughing at something that wasn't funny because they yeah, didn't know what the fuck to do too. with it. And then, like, answer answering their phones one dude i shit you not pulled out a like a 12 inch ipad pro i swear to god like the biggest fucking comically large you ipad get smacked because like that's <laughs> like and they were in the front three rows so like you could just see it and they pull out this giant ipad and for like 10 minutes are like fucking around on social media and i'm like what the hell like why why are you here <laughs> like why did you go see this I know I cut these kids a lot of slack, but Paul, what you just described, like I death penalty. Like, like yeah, I'm sorry. No, no other answer to that. Just uh, execution. <laughs> uh, fire Jake's is like driving a, a woman who survived a cult to like <clears throat> destroy her mind and body. Yeah. Uh, that's you know what? I feel OK, but iPad in a movie theater. Kill him. No. <laughs> you know, it's it, this movie is complex. But if you're an asshole in a movie theater to that degree, that's simple. It's yeah, uh, you got to go. Uh, when we went to go see um, the new Halloween, like the first installment of the the new franchise, uh, it played mm-hmm. at Midnight Madness at TIFF and like Jamie Lee Curtis was there and it was like a big fucking deal. And it packed like it had to get moved to like uh like a theater theater, like for performing arts, not for like a movie theater. And it was like packed to like the rafters. And the guy who sat two rows in front of us was on his phone almost the entire time. And I was like, I'm going to fucking kick the shit out of this dude. Like we paid like $35 for these seats. You turn your fucking phone off. I can't believe he got away with that. I mean, at at Fantastic Fest, they are like, they patrol the the aisles. Like if you have your phone, you get kicked out of the festival. Like you, not only are you out of that theater, like you're done. You, you can't go see anything else. (laughs) There was like rows of us being like, dude, turn off your fucking phone. Just like yelling at him. And he was like, what I'm working. And I'm like, I'm sorry, fuck you. You're not working at midnight. No. If you need to take notes, if you're a reviewer, get a pad of paper and a pencil. That's, that's what you do. All the other reviewers in the audience know how to do this. Yeah. Right. Come on. I opted, you know, because I had to review a bunch of stuff and I opted to not take notes and just immediately after the film, write down my thoughts. And that worked really well for me, because if I just can't on my first viewing, I can't take notes. I don't know why. It's just if I do that, I'm not really engaging. Back when I used to take notes during I had to stop because I would get out of the theater and look at my notes and I would have written on the same spot on the same page. Like, yeah, right. and I'm like. 
And then I'm like, what does this mean? Like, my notes will be like, too, it'll be like, uh, you know, building cool. And I'm like, what does that mean? Yeah, you know? <laughs> I don't remember. Like, and then I wasn't paying it. Yeah, it's it's this weird thing. I, I can take notes on a second viewing, but not on the first. I, I have to really just watch it and then let it sink in. And, this part uh, kills me. The dead dog. The what dog. do we think about the dead dog? That I don't know, man. That's I where the kid really loses me. Jaden Martell's character. More realistic. This movie had a budget. So, do you think, like, J- Aiden, like, released that dog, like, full well knowing it was gonna, like, I'm killing this dog? Do you think that was part of his plan? Do you think he's that fucked up? Yeah. No. I think he's a little sociopath who enjoys killing animals and later in life will go on to murder people because he will feel nothing. Oh, the good news is he's not going to murder anyone because he's straight up dead. dead. (laughs) But he'll people and he'll be a real dick about it. So, Jake, you don't think you don't think he intended to kill the dog? I mean, I think we can't say for certain one way or another. And I appreciate that about the movie. I. I don't see him as like this complete sociopath in the way that you two do like so much as he no i i I just see a kid (laughs) who's probably too clever for his own good who's hurting who was raised by a not great guy who's probably a skillful manipulator and the kid has picked up some things but he's also so damn young i i think he obviously like Prime example being what ultimately happens, this is a kid who hasn't thought through the potential consequences for what he's doing. So when he opens that door and lets the dog out, he's thinking the dog will return at some point, right? I don't think he knows he's sentencing it to death. And also, that dog is, let's be honest, pretty fucking dumb for not coming back to the door and howling and scratching at it. Hey, don't blame the dog. I, yeah, I was going to say, I don't think we could blame the dog on this. No, I'm, I'm blaming the dog. <laughs> Come on. Dog, if if you're in the middle it's of, like, sane. this white hell, and there's a black house sitting in the middle of it, well, and you're freezing Aiden, and cold. Aiden might have put the dog in the middle of the trees, and the dog just never made it back. We don't know the extent. That's the thing, is just like, so... So how do you think the dog with a gets... movie like this, you could either give him the benefit of the doubt or assume the worst. And I'm choosing to assume the worst yeah, because he's a little piece of it, shit. And also, like, even if like, sure, like, OK, oh, he was raised poorly and he's got bad influences. But can't we say that about every piece of shit person okay, ever? But OK, if he is that <laughs> seriously, though, OK, yeah, where's the line? So if the reason if the reason he's doing this is because he blame one can assume, I think we can extrapolate from the film that we're given, like, you know, even for what precious little info we get from time to time. But if we're to assume that he holds this woman responsible for his mother's death, and that's what's fueling everything he's doing. And if he's that much of a sociopath and he's that angry, then why doesn't he just shove her down the fucking stairs? Because that's not, and the movie too quick. Yeah. And I don't think he wouldn't get away with it. He wouldn't get away with that. Like this, if he drives her to do something crazy, then he gets away with it. But also, I don't think that he's that... I agree with you, Jinx. I don't think he's thinking that far ahead. And I also don't think... So I think some of these tendencies are coming from a a dark place that's starting to form based on his inability to deal with his grief and pain. So I think this is sort of like the genesis of a very bad person. And beyond that, 
the 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 extent to which he gaslights Grace and the skill at which he does it means he's going to be even if he's not a serial killer, the way he's going to treat women is going to be like horrific. <laughs> I agree with you 100% in that if he'd gotten away with it and things went the way he wanted, which is just, you know, she breaks down and then, you know, maybe like leaves his leaves his dad. So exactly. That way, does all of that. Break up and... Then that would have taught him like a horrible lesson. And he would have taken like that guy would have been a fucking horror show in college. He would have been Max Landis. He would have grown up to be Max Landis. No, 100%. 100%. What he would be. The hell of it is, is that I think he is, I think this is a turning point for him as a human being, like this moment, this this point in his life, and he's dealing with a lot. Uh, He, everything that's bad in him has been lit up by the pain that he's feeling. And I honestly think if he made it through this weekend, and like saw and had to really feel the consequences of all the horrible shit that he did. I think that would, I think he would have turned a corner. I don't I, I think, think he would have come out the other side a better person. I really do. I, I, I don't think he's destined to just be a bastard. I, I, but I'd like to think not. But I disagree because for the level of like his sociopathic tendencies and his like insane levels of like manipulation at like, let's say age 15, if he's that far along, I think he's gone. Yeah. I mean, I I can see that, I guess, but do you like, if he somehow made it out of the situation, like his dad shows up, calms everything down, gets the gun. Like who knows what the fallout would have been like from that when it was revealed what he did or whatever, like, or would he be super proud of his kid? (laughs) Good job, son. I'm going to write a book about you now. Uh, study you now. Well You're done, like, son. No, he'll more like, he would more likely study the daughter being like, what are the effects like on her watching her brother do these heinous things and being involved in it? Yeah, that's my son. Uh, chip off the old son of a bitch. Right. Uh, <laughs> I no, mean, that guy I, gets what's coming to him. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I See, Only for mistake me, like I have a dark uh, twice. Um, I have a dark sort of sensibility with certain movies, and by the end, I was kind of like, "Yeah, I mean, this is it's very, very dark." But I don't, I don't walk away from it as depressed as I am in certain other movies that are also depressing. But like when you see his face there, like when he realizes how far it's gone, I don't. And maybe I'm giving him too much credit. I'm willing to to hear you all out on that, but. I don't think he's merely freaked out at potentially being in harm's way now. Like, I think he realizes that he went too far. And the fact that he realizes he went too far has to mean something. Like, he's there's got to be a chance in there somewhere for him. Yeah, no, I, I don't know. I think... Oh, I'm sorry. I think we he should go the way he goes. He should die. Damn! <laughs> Don't let that child. Phil, what what do you think, Phil? Do they uh, in the end do they get what they deserve? <laughs> I don't know. I think it's hard to say. I don't know that there is anything redemptive about this character. I I guess I just I really struggle with it. The thing that I struggle with is we talked about the dog. I. I'm very emotional about the sea monkeys that perished during this. Mm. 
I mean, sea monkeys are fickle. <laughs> they die if you change yeah, the temperature. It's well, and they die from neglect, which is. But which everyone is sad. dies from neglect. Yes. I true. mean, sure, sure. You're right. Uh, there is some sea monkey carnage that... that is upsetting. In that <laughs> household, in this film, they got off light. I, I appreciate the the bringing up of the sea monkeys because in general i did like the weird way they would cut to sea monkeys occasionally throughout the film um because we're all just a bunch of sea monkeys in a bag aren't we isn't that the ultimate metaphor that the film's putting forth yeah i I agree rats in a cage like despite all of our rage despite all of our rage (laughs) uh i like where this is going Uh, (laughs) i'm concerned <laughs> I, I I think for me, the the whole like empathy thing s- stems from I feel the the most for Grace. Grace is the person that I care the sure. most about. She's the one that I feel the worst for. And so when she is destroyed, or when that version of herself, this new version she's been building, is destroyed. And she does what she thinks is the righteous thing to do. I it's I can't not be on her side in a way. Not not that I think that this is a good thing that she's doing. I'm sad that it's happening, but I'm sort of like, well, you did th- this is what you wanted. I mean, it's not what they wanted, but this is what they did, and this is what they reaped, and now they have to deal with that. And I care more about Grace than those two kids by that point. You know, I cared about the kids in the first 20 minutes, but then the movie spends an hour making me care about Grace. <laughs> and that's a deliberate decision, I feel like, in the story. I I think it's curious how it appears these kids, like, staged what they were going to, to do with this dollhouse. Mm-hmm. And we didn't mention it, but I wanted to earlier. This house that the father lives in is, like a character in and of itself. I don't know why, but it's so unique looking. Yeah. You're right. I, I want the sequel to to this movie to be uh to take place at that house cuz that house is so weird. He's uh the father will not be returning for the sequel. That's true. <laughs> well, you know, you could do a really cool sequel that is supernatural. Right, because now something horrible has happened in this house, and it's infused with those bad vibes, you know. So we're gonna go from like straight thriller to supernatural over the course of like one sequel. We're we're doing like Brahms, The Lodge Two here. That's Uh, yeah, but it would work in this case. (laughs) How dare worked in Brahms? I didn't. Okay, I didn't see Brahms. Full disclosure. So it might have worked. It's it's okay. It's not great. It's yeah. amazing, and you should watch it. Katie Holmes. Well, a- I love, I love the boy. Is is it amazing? Do I need to see Brahms the boy too? I didn't see it. I no, Paul. Don't just let the boy no. live. Ellie said I should see it. Ellie yeah, said it's it. amazing. I'm for Brahms too. Okay, all right, Paul. Go ahead and watch it. And uh, you know what? Do what you, you want. You're your let, own man. Let us know what you think. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate the agency. Um, I will, I will watch it probably then. I will I will do that. Okay, is okay, the little sociopath, is he such a bastard that he continues to like protect his baby sister instead of like making a run for it? Dexter loved his sister. Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> like most sociopaths still love them of their Paul baby. Dexter had a code. 
Oh, let's not get no. There. But there's a That's thing with like people. Do. There's a thing with people who have like severe mental illness, which he clearly has, is that you have like a favorite person. And Wait, okay, so are we going to go ahead and say that he has like a mental illness then? Yes, being a sociopath is a mental illness. Okay, but we still. It's... Now I feel hate bad. For him? I think that he's showing a lot of signs that not everything is right with him. And there are a lot of unaddressed issues that. Personality disorder. Yeah. Okay. Will so lead I'm to very bad things. So I'm hearing that we should be sympathetic. No, zero sympathy. Also, it's a personality disorder. And I would just like to clarify that. I'm sorry for saying mental illness when it's a personality disorder. I think we're getting into semantics on this. I, I, I think in, in terms of the movie, who's our main character? Who's our protagonist? The house. The lodge. <laughs> it's the title character. Okay, so the lodge is the main character. So who, <laughs> who's helping the lodge the most? <laughs> I, guess. I, I feel it's like... Not the dog me, that's currently I feel on like the screen. What's it's fascinating about the movie is it's like one of the few movies where we don't meet our protagonist till minute 22, right? Which is Grace. Grace, Grace to me is our protagonist. She's, she's the one that the movie's really about. Um, we just don't get a chance to get to her until we get the backstory required for her story to make any sense. Uh, which is the, what is essentially the prologue, which is the first 20 minutes of the movie. Um, and so to me, these are characters that have been doing nothing but torturing our protagonists. So I'm not supposed to like them. I am, um, I guess they're trying to, to depict frostbite on her face. Whoever did the makeup job on her. I think this is excellent. Yeah. Personally. I, like I feel the, like there's a kill counter coming up right. on the screen, like 20, 19. Well, I, I think that uh, uh, Richard sees her and he's like, what'd you do to your face? Because <laughs> he's such a piece of shit. Like, that's what he's worried about. Less pretty like, you me. fucked up your pretty face. What'd you do? Now I don't love you. <laughs> Can you, like, fix it or... Is this a forever him? thing? Are you always going to be this? <laughs> Is this a forever thing? <laughs> Give me the gun, oh, it's mine. Richard, Richard's such a piece of shit. Don't touch my things, woman. That's that's not your gun. Well, now you have to kill the kids. They seem to. Bye, Dick. This is the part of the movie where we all get quiet and just watch the movie. <laughs> yeah. I really I mean, do it's like a hard one. It's a hard, heavy movie. Like, it, it's not a fun thing to keep, you know, because you kind of talk about it, you get a sense of it, and it's like, okay. Weirdly, though, I will say this about the movie. I think out of all the commentaries we've done in recent memory, this is probably the one we've diverged the least from the movie. You know what I mean? We've stayed curious because focused on it. I thought we would have digressed the most on this one. So, yeah, it's, it's weird. bizarre like, almost. Maybe the heaviness, the weightiness of what was happening just, like, kept us on the film. I don't know. 
I will say you mentioned you saw it at a uh, festival. I this such a damn heavy movie that I'm glad it wasn't the last movie I saw just before lockdown, but it was the next to last, which is why I still remember it. I the last two movies I saw before uh, I stopped going to theaters in 2020, it was this and The Invisible Man. Ooh, mine was and, the, the Invisible Man. Uh, the what? I'm sorry. The Hunt. Oh, oh nice. I oh, saw that on the Oh, The Hunt. DVD. I like The Hunt. I love The Hunt. Very fun. Uh, Gil, was it Betty Gilpin? Yeah. Yes. And She's Hillary. so fucking good in that movie. Yeah. Perfect. And where the hell is her follow-up roles? Like, how are people not falling over themselves offering her, like, leads and action movies and stuff now? I'm not saying she should be solely relegated to that, but damn it, give her a franchise. For sure. She's a wonderful actress. Yeah, you don't see her in a lot. I, I don't know what that is. Phil, I don't know if you said, like, how did you see The Lodge? Did you watch it in theaters for the first time, or...? I think I was just curious and probably saw some buzz around it on social media like I typically do with horror movies. And I thought, oh, I'll check it out. And the first screening, I like I mentioned before, I only got halfway through it. And then to kind of prep for our talk today, I watched it again. Sorry. Yesterday. And I and I'm <laughs> no, it's OK. No, I'm glad I did, because as I and I think, you know, you mentioned that we haven't diverged from the film i think because it's so uncategorizable that we can't help but talk about it which maybe is a reason why it resonated with viewers now i can't say that i personally personally love this movie but it's made an impact somehow somewhere so maybe it does have something going for it I think you're right too. Like I, I think maybe we didn't digress that much simply because I mean this movie is not full of the moments that are typically uh, uh, jumping off points for other conversations. You know, like uh, even great movies that we've done commentaries for. It's like, hey, this reminds me of this. Which why don't we have a conversation about that and this and that? And eventually we wind our way back around. This movie is just kind of like, look, you're stuck here in this lodge with these people. You're not going anywhere. It's unpredictable. I think that's my frustration with it because I was, I found myself as a horror film fan trying to predict the outcome of this movie and I never got that payoff. Yeah, well, you're right. It, it, it undercuts what you expect at every turn right up until the very end where it doesn't give you the satisfaction of a conclusion. Mm-hmm. It, it brings you right to the edge and then forces you to sit with your own thoughts regarding what you just saw. And it kind of asks you similar to what we've been arguing about this whole time to pass your own judgment on what should happen. You're absolutely or, Yeah. So I don't know that there is a definitive answer because I think it's up to you. I think I think how you interpreted the movie and and who deserves what is what that ending ends up being. And that forces you to kind of like be the judge, jury and executioner, which is a lot more frightening than the movie just giving you, you know, satisfaction in that way. Yeah. And I think we as audiences want the filmmakers to create 
or subject us to an answer or have some finality. And this movie doesn't provide that, which brings me back to my argument that I would love to see the lodge to the other house be produced. <laughs> and have it a, have a supernatural thing. <laughs> could, could we name it like the house to though? Could it be the lodge to the, uh, the, the second story? Yes. <laughs> and then have it be like, like a really dumb comedy. <laughs> like, okay. Just like house to. Can I ask well, you all the, the final shot of the movie is of that gun, right? Yeah. But it's not merely of that gun. It's of two visible bullets. Not three. I hadn't yep. picked up on that. So, two. but all three of them are wearing like the sin, you know, like uh, uh, tape over their mouths. But also we know that uh, Grace, you know, she <laughs> she skipped out the last time. So what do we think happens after the credits? Like, does everybody have an opinion on this as to who made it and who didn't? Did anybody die? Did only, I mean, I'm thinking like definitely the kids and the dad, she the, left. the kids died, but do we think that she tried to kill herself as well? Did she, did she walk? Like what, what happens in your mind? I think she's just moved on to the next trauma. Well, um, for me, they left. So they, they established that the reason Grace was left alive was so she could spread the word of the cult, right? That was why she didn't die. Right. Don't they say that like explicitly in the movie? Yeah. She so, wasn't given. It's not like it was her choice then, but right. She did, right. She, she was left it. alive to spread that word. So I think you could read it in one of two ways. Like perhaps she views herself as that, uh, bastion of redemption redemption for other people like maybe it's her role in this universe to help others cross over to the other side so perhaps then the two bullets would be for the children uh or you could see her as passing that torch like now it's someone else's turn to be the one who brings this to a new group or a new you know place that that requires saving and she leaves i would think mia the little girl to be the new grace essentially um so i think i think there's multiple ways i i think in both cases aiden is dead <laughs> um but that i i would say probably the the first option would be where my mind would go um but, you know, I think there's multiple ways to interpret it. There's probably more beyond even what I'm saying. You know, that's what I like about this ending is it's not a cop out because it brings you far enough into what's happening to to show you sort of how bad it's gotten. But it's but it leaves it open ended for you to decide. You say if he is that much of a sociopath, like he's uh, what did we say, like 15, probably He's able-bodied, like, he he looks like he could be a spry little fucker if he needed to be. Kid's got zero survival instinct. He didn't try for that gun once. I mean, come on. He's a little bitch. (laughs) (laughs) He's a little bit like the kid in um, uh, Better Watch Out. (laughs) Oh, my God. You're absolutely right. That's kind of how I think of it. That's Um, totally who he is. 
Yeah. So I don't know. I, I just think that he, he is definitely not, there is something wrong going on there outside of just what we're seeing. No, no normal person is capable of doing what he's done. And, and Phil brought it up earlier, but the fact that they show us the, the uh, dollhouse with like a little hung doll and all that shit, like that's the serial killer stuff. The fact that he was able to put it together so meticulously ahead of time yeah, and, and build it out like that feels like something a, a, a serial killer would do. Yeah. The kid's fucked. Yeah. Well, all he wanted to do was to play die. a game. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. And and he did play that game. And and someone won it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that it was him. <laughs> Jigsaw Jr. got uh got snipped pretty quickly. He got cut from the team. Man, I would like to see Jigsaw try to get Grace and just see that battle ensue. Because I feel like Grace would would ultimately get the better of jigsaw i don't know i think he's smart enough to not even try like you know he, he does herculean amounts of research and all of his potential victims i imagine he looks into her backstory and he's just like no <laughs> not <laughs> fucking with this <laughs> <laughs> i've been dead for four movies <laughs> But he still pulls the strings. That's why he is <laughs> I recorded this video six years ago, knowing I would capture you now. Sorry. I watched all the Saw movies. I have actually seen them, so I can Love make jokes all the about Saw them movies. now. It's my favorite franchise. Is it? Really? Yeah. Phil, what's your favorite horror franchise? I'm a huge fan of Final Destination. Ooh. That's a good one. That's yeah. That's a really... You, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that, you know, per capita, that probably has more better entries than just about any other franchise. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could argue there isn't a real too terribly disappointing one. Yeah, there's four, but we can just. No, there's you know. five. There's, well, no, I meant there's, there's four. No, four is the disappointing oh, one. Oh, yeah, four is definitely the disappointing one. But, I was going right. to be like, how dare you? Yeah, there's going to yeah. be a six one soon. No, I, yeah, the, five, the fifth one's amazing. It's probably the best fifth entry of a horror movie ever. Um, oh, a thousand percent. So yeah, it's a, that's a good pick. I Paul, appreciate that pick. I'm going to try and guess your favorite franchise if you can I guess you mine. Know. I think you know. I think I know, but I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to say it. Uh-huh. Halloween. That That is correct. Okay. <laughs> well, do you know what mine is? Does anybody here know what my favorite horror franchise is? It may surprise you. That's a tough one. Jinx's favorite horror. Yeah. Um, Phil, I'm I know gonna, you just I'm met me, say... so it would be doubly funny if uh, <laughs> if you could actually call it. Gosh, but I'm gonna I... I'm gonna let everybody I'm... else go first. I'm gonna let Paul go first, and then Allie, <laughs> and then we'll just we'll see how this goes. But if Phil can actually guess it, then uh, yeah, I I would I'm gonna say the I'm, I'm gonna say saw. That's my guess. Okay. Uh, Allie, how about you? Urban legend. (laughs) No, that's not true. (laughs) (sighs) That's a good one. I wish I had said that. I wish I had said it too. I just, 
I wish I had. Yeah, that would have been a good way to go. But hey, Phil, we're uh, we're looking to fill a slot here. If you want to come back next week, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb, and it it reminded me again. I say there's many allusions to other movies in this film, and we see Grace naked in the shower. No. And, and something no. on her. And it just reminded me a lot of a franchise that I hold dear <laughs> called, uh, called Psycho. <laughs> <laughs> um, Psycho is indeed my favorite franchise. Is it Hellraiser? Uh, I think you told me that once. I And now I feel bad for not remembering it. Because you knew mine, pound. so you're a better friend than I am. <laughs> pound for pound, I think the most solid franchise ever was. I'm not saying that all of the movies are masterpieces. I'm just saying that two of them are, and the other two are pretty damn fantastic. Yeah, Psycho's I, a good franchise, yeah. yeah and Fates Motel is a great TV show. It's yes. a Canadian TV show. And That's the only great. brag we got right now. I adore Psycho. I really do. I... I, I God, I love Norman. Maybe that's why I'm sympathetic to on-screen psychos because I, I don't know. They all go back to Norman, and I feel bad for him. So, well, and the Psycho franchise does a lot to me. Like, my question is, would you have as much empathy for Norman if only the first one existed? As much, no. Some, yes. Some certainly, but I think like the. But my God, Norman, after after two and three, and that, that's four, what I mean. Like, like two, especially. Yeah. I I feel like two completely changes the the viewer's relationship with Norman. Like it's it's a complete one eighty. Like with with how it, he's handled. And I love it. I think two is an amazing movie. It's one of the best sequels, certainly. Um, well, and it repeats like something that's kind of amazing from the first movie in a very strange, strange way. But like, you know, I, and I've seen other people write about this too. I don't know if it's true for you all, or if this is true for any other movie for you all, but there is something, there's a kind of magic about psycho when you watch it. Every time she steps into the shower, I I'm so far into the movie that I think that maybe this time she's going to make it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Mm-hmm. And seriously, that that is actually a thing. It's yeah. like it is it is a spell mean. that is woven over me. Like I I'm I'm never aware of it until after it's done, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's the thing that happens. You know, um, the same thing is true with Psycho too. Like there is a certain point in that movie where I'm like, okay, Norman and Mary still have a chance. I don't know what their future looks like, but they're gonna get out of that fucking house. They're gonna get out of that town. Norman's gonna be okay. They're going to be happy together, like not even necessarily romantically, but even just as friends, you know, like um, and one of my favorite moments in the franchise is just when he's upstairs having a nightmare and she just cradles him. You know, that's such a weirdly sweet moment. You would not expect in a million years to be in any slasher movie. Um, And yet, yeah, such as such as the spell that's woven on me in Psycho 2 as well, that I, I always hope that it winds up for the best for him. And of course it, uh, it ends tragically. Did you ever see the documentary about psycho 7852? <gasps> no, I never have. Honestly, Allie, thank you. I've forgotten that that existed. I remember when it came out, I was like, Oh, I need to watch that. And for whatever it's reason, I forgot about it completely. And so thank you for good. reminding me about that. I, I saw it when it premiered at Fantasia and like, it's, they like literally dissect like every frame of that film. And like, 
like um, Guillermo del Toro is there and Elijah Wood is there and they're all just like, this film is fucking incredible. Isn't the 7852 uh, um, the number of shots in the shower sequence or something like that? I can't recall. Yeah, it's 78 setups and 52 cuts. Wow. Wow. I saw it, but it's been so long ago that, again, I can't recall. But, yeah, I do I do know it's a great documentary. So. It's so good. Peter Bogdanovich is in it. Yeah. Oh, really? Honestly, yeah, that. it's a very interesting. I gotta watch that. It's an interesting take on a documentary, but a film, because they just, like, dissect the crap out of it. Oh, not in a... Uh, no, in a the... good way. Like, in a very, like, like, filmmaker trying to figure out how this scene was so powerful but not in like an insufferable way like the uh the the shining documentary i forget what it was called (laughs) right no this one's a lot more it's like room 237 or whatever yeah uh well and it's like i I like the idea of trying to distill or determine the like the the ingredients that led to the alchemy of something perfect on film uh you know, and because it's so hard to nail down. I mean, look at like what, and it didn't work, but like that's kind of what Gus Van Sant was trying to do with his remake, if you can even call it a remake. It's a, it's a uh, it is a terrible film, and but it's it is but that's so what he important. was attempting to do. You know what I mean? He was trying to distill like the ingredients of a perfect thing yeah oh i and, love and that it exists it's very interesting you know on on a certain level and there's a really cool commentary um with uh <laughs> with someone who's been canceled actually <laughs> on, oh, the, no. on the screen factory disc uh but uh a really interesting commentary with one of the producers and and uh that that goes through some really interesting behind the scenes stuff like on how that happened and and why and it's i don't know that movie i'm endlessly fascinated by it and i always joke with people because um and you two probably don't know this about me that was my introduction to psycho that movie mm. oh. i had never oh, i had really? never seen psych yeah i did i hadn't seen psycho i you know when that movie came out i was I don't know, a teenager or whatever. And I went to see it because I was like, oh, you know, a big movie. I should go see this. And I knew it was a remake. I did not know it was a shot for shot remake. Um, and I watched that movie with no prior knowledge of anything psycho. That was my first psycho thing. <laughs> and wow. I saw it and I was like, oh, this is I, I walked out thinking it was OK. I didn't like it i didn't love it but i didn't hate it and i was like this is fine and i saw that a lot of people hated it and then i saw like it was a remake and because of that i ended up seeing psycho so like it led me to psycho and i was kind of like oh okay that this is this is really good that wasn't as good but it's i i was the kind of person that i think gus van sant was trying to aim that movie to (laughs) you know yeah i 
I think you could pose the argument that that was his means to expose yeah, right. this amazing film to a new generation of audiences, and it sounds like he succeeded. He did, <laughs> so and, and certainly case. with all my friends. I mean, none of my friends had seen Psycho. Like, we didn't watch black and white movies. I mean, I'm not, and keep in mind, I, I came to horror later. I wasn't a kid who grew up watching those movies as much. So, like, for me, that was a gateway into it, and it, it wasn't a negative one. That's fair. That's fair. I I've always found that movie fascinating. I love that it exists. I I think it makes so many wrong-headed decisions. It's astonishing. Uh but I think that's also part of its charm in a weird way. Um Yeah. Yeah. Uh it is not a reason that Psycho is my favorite franchise, I will say. But still. Mm-hmm. Nor is the original Bates Motel TV movie from the mid-80s. Oh, yes. With Lori right. Petty. Lori right. Petty and, um, uh, oh, Harold Maude. Um, oh, I've forgotten his name. Mm-hmm. They're both quite good in it. Uh, Jason Bateman, who's like a baby in it, is uh, is pretty great, too. I didn't know Bateman was in that. I gotta watch it. I also did, yeah, now I need to watch it immediately. I love Bateman. <laughs> He's the best. All right, gang. I think somehow, some way, we have come to the end of this Lodge commentary. I knew we'd get there in the end. We would finally digress astonishingly away from the Lodge. And uh, I think we needed to. (laughs) We needed to bring things up a little bit. And I think we succeeded. Now, before we take off, Phil, can you tell folks out there where they can find you at online and what they can keep an eye out for from you in the future? Sure. Um, if they look up the username Ghost Directive, all one word, <laughs> on YouTube, uh, you can see a smattering of videos titled Netflix and Phil. Uh, I continue, <laughs> continue to record them and hope to have you all on at some point. It would be fun to just please and talk about horror or anything Netflix related. Uh, other than that, um, my handle on Twitter is – I'm just going to encourage that you link me when you post this, team, because I don't even remember what my handle is. Is that embarrassing? Yeah, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. Who am I? I'm Philoween Show, so at Philoween Show, all one word. So you can look for me there, too. Rock on. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's a blast chatting with you, and I'm uh, I'm sorry it wasn't a lighter time. You know, generally we have fun, but uh, the lodge was a little heavy, but all the same, uh, <laughs> it was great having you on. I had a blast. Thank you very much, Jinx, Paul, and Allie. Loved, loved chatting with you. <gasps> we love chatting with you. <laughs> it was very fun. I'm glad you were finally able to come on. It was a really good time. I had a great time. Thank you. All right. Now, Paul and Allie, I know it's only been five days, but as we always do, can you tell folks where they can find you out online and what they can keep an eye out for in the future? I'm mad at you for that. <laughs> I lost my breath for a second and I just lot. wrote it out to the end. So, that was a lot. Yeah. I'm not redoing it. It stays. No, I'm uh, You can find me across all social media platforms at the Allie Chapel. And, I mean, by the time this airs, this event will have passed. But if anyone is in Toronto tomorrow night, come to the bar and watch. It's, uh, I was going to say it's always saying no. Uh, I know what you did last summer, one and two. <laughs> but by the time this airs, and I don't know. How the many- one where the gang hits a fisherman and throws him yeah. into the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> 
I love it. Um, you can find me at the always modest Twitter handle at Paul is great 2000, where I tweet about horror movies and things I'm writing and things like that. Paul, okay. All right. Uh, this will be the last time I say this in, uh, you know, on hammer pub, but, uh, thanks to you both for co-hosting. Wow. Episode 50. This is emotional. Of- Hammer Pub. This is it. This is the last Hammer commentary we're going to do. Except, should point out that Hammer is putting out another movie soon. Uh, We are going to have another take on Dr. Jekyll starring uh, Eddie Izzard soon. So, we may very well come back for the occasional one-off. Just throwing that out there as a possibility, folks. But uh, I think we have to. I mean, we have to cover it. Yeah, we have to. It's like a thing. And we do have uh, we do have one more Hammer Pub visit coming up where we're going to do our uh, our top tens. We're going to invite everybody who was ever on the show, Phil. This means you too, uh, to come back for a brief little bit to talk about their favorite Hammer movies and maybe do a brief ranking. And uh, but yeah, who am I kidding? This is this is kind of the last Hammer Pub, folks. It's closing time. It's time to shuffle out the doors. I'm going to lock up. We're going to turn the lights off for now. Paul and Allie, thank you so much for co-hosting. Hell of a journey. And I guess all I have to say after that is uh, thanks to all you listeners out there. As always, please make certain to like, subscribe, share, use the comment section below. Scream at us on Facebook and Twitter. That's at Scream Addicts, and I'm at Jinx1981. Until next time, folks, thanks so much, and have a great weekend. And I'm not going to cut here. I'm just going to, you know... Let's just let it ride for a couple seconds. Allie, Paul, Phil, even. If you've got anything to throw out just to take us out on this final episode, throw it out there. I'm sad now. <laughs> Hammer lives on. It, yes. it never dies. That's that's the beautiful thing about the studio and its legacy is that all these years later, here we are talking about Hammer and its impact. And, you know, it's it's never going to go away. This that's isn't the end. That about. What if I don't get to talk to you guys every week now? We will find a we <laughs> Hammer Pub will evolve into something else. We, you know, we will we can, I mean, not not for nothing. We can just hop on Skype it's true, once or twice a week out. and just chat, you yeah. know. <laughs> Listeners we, we, out we there, all, won't be we able all to know in, that but... we're going to come up with another podcast idea. <laughs> It'll be fine. I just rewatched The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent again, so my hat is always in the ring for a Nicolas Cage podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Allie, I am with you, and I think we need to do that. Okay, Al- Allie and the Paul. Cage cast. Allie and Paul are going to do the Cage cast, and they can invite me on every episode if they'd like, except The Wicker Man. I'm not doing that again. Life's too short. <laughs> what if we did a Cage cast and only invited you on for Wicker Man? <laughs> <laughs> I'll wish you all well. You know what I'll do? I'll watch the original. I'll watch the original in its place. It won't make any sense in my commentary, but I'm going to do it. I say we do it. Sergeant Howie's great. I love Edward Woodward. Okay, that's it, gang. Let's go ahead and shuffle out of here. Gonna go have a drink. I know who I am.